Just a few stats for these games. Twisted Metal 2 was released on Halloween, October 31st, 1986 for the PlayStation 1. It was developed by Sony... (laughs) What? That's pretty cool that they made a PlayStation 1 game in 1986. They were really way ahead of the curve. I wonder if they got a dev kit like via a time machine. <laughs> Did I f*** this up? I swear it said 1986. It does. <laughs> it does. I didn't think you would actually read it that way, though. <laughs> me. <laughs> You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. This month, we'll rev up our engines as well as our machine guns and rocket launchers when we jump into two entries in the gritty, dark, and edgy Sony series known as Twisted Metal. We specifically played Twisted Metal 2 for the PlayStation 1 and Twisted Metal Black for the PlayStation 2. Are these vehicle combat adventures worth revisiting now, or are they better left behind in a smoking crater? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean. On Twitter, I'm at RFG Playcast and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening and now, on with the Playcast. Check. Check, 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 check. Oh, man. 
Do you feel that? What is that? That fiber goodness that I now have installed in my home. Oh, I thought maybe you had eaten a bunch of broccoli before going online. <laughs> That'd be amazing if you could feel that. We'd be like the Tomax and Zamont of podcasts. I don't know what that is, but... <laughs> Our listeners will. I'm sure. Especially the good ones. That's some sci-fi nerd stuff. Nah, man. That's some G.I. Joe sh** right there for your ears. The evil twins, Tomax and Zamont, who could feel each other's pain. Okay. Come on, man. You got to get with it. You got to watch some G.I. Joe, I don't, Real American Hero. It's kind of weird. I'm not five years old anymore. I don't... <laughs> I don't watch that show for the past, like, 36 years. So. Yeah, I've got the entire <laughs> Foot Locker with every episode, including the movie, man. I dig it. I dig it a lot. Oh, man. So what you been up to since the last time we were together? You mean Feels besides like ago, right? throwing shade on all of our listeners by <laughs> implying that I'm somehow more mature than everybody else? <laughs> That's um, right, man. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. You know, we had such an awesome time when you were here and... I might as well go ahead and plug my my last article was just story time about you and I hanging out for the day. So if anybody wants yeah. to hear more about what we did before and after we recorded, they can go on rfgeneration.com and see my blog about it. Uh, but in general, not too much else going on. How about yourself? I'll just say that's Sean's rendition of what happened. He didn't include any of the sexy time, so uh, oh my yeah. God, you always go there. It's <laughs> and he rubbed me so down weird. with baby oil. Yeah, <laughs> I like to catch you off your game, you know, because I know it gets to you. So yeah. you got to do that. I'm triggered. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, we had a blast. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, today we're covering Twisted Metal 2 and Twisted Metal Black, which we forgot to play against each other while I was there. We had so much going on, though. You know, I, I was hoping we'd get in at least one game against each other, you know? I was low-key hoping that we wouldn't because okay. <laughs> I'm not very competitive and I feel like you might be very competitive and I didn't know if it would get awkward. No, I used to be that way, but I'm not anymore. I just, you know, just like to have fun. So I'm not very competitive, though. You know, when we do our site challenges, I kind of like to be competitive with those to make it fun and, of course, to uh, push everyone else around me to, you know, play better and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I've never won a site challenge, so... Yeah, speaking of, I'm sitting here looking at the golf trophy and the golf medals that I have for our winners from last December that I have not finished yet. But I just want to let them know that they're still in the works here. I've uh, pretty much finished most of it, but uh, need to get that stuff out, you know? Yeah, that that's not like you to take <laughs> really so long not. with a project like that. It's really not, man. It's just... Uh, it's been tough, man. It's been tough on me trying to uh, kind of get things in order and... Uh, you know, get my priorities straight. I have too much stuff going on, man. So, uh, yeah, I feel you. And nothing I want to really eliminate. So, uh, therein lies the problem. So, that's just the way it goes. So, Sean, do we have any mistakes that our old friends pointed out last episode? Do you know? We definitely do, but I'm not, I wouldn't dare refer to this person as an. <laughs> 
Nicole. She's one of our best friends. And as she gets more and more famous, I just hope that she doesn't forget her good friends at the RF Generation Playcast. I know you're talking about. And she has enough people calling her names. That's exactly true. So, yeah, of course, we're referring to Pam, who on the forum thread for our previous episode... We kind of winged it when you were here, right, Rich? We we did, we, we did a, a real skeletal outline. We were a lot less prepared than usual just because we wanted to have just a natural conversation. And one of the consequences of that was that we really glazed over one of the important parts of the game, which was the cast, the, uh, the actors yeah. of the game, which is always a big part of Quantic Dream Games. And we're talking about Detroit, by the way. Right, Detroit Become Human, which was our previous episode. So... I don't know why or where I got this idea, but I kind of pulled it out of my ass in the middle of the show that the guy who played Marcus was not an actor and that he was an underwear model. And I'm, to this day, I don't know why I thought that or where I came up with that. But courtesy of Pam on the thread here, she says, Jesse Williams is an actor, not a model. He was in Cabin in the Woods, 10 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, and a bunch of other stuff. I didn't think he did a great job in this, though. Yeah. Uh, so to that effect, I just want to shout out real quick that the three main characters, let's at least give them their due here. Kara was played by Valerie Curry. Connor was played by Brian Deschart. And uh, <laughs> Marcus was played, of course, by Jesse Williams, uh, who, as Pam noted, is a well-seasoned actor. So You said chart. Yeah, I don't even know if that's how it's pronounced. Uh, it's D-E-C-H-A-R-T. And by the way, in your defense, man, he would look good as an underwear model, though. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't know who I was confusing him with. But anyway, Pam, thanks for setting the record straight on that one. That was probably, you know, like I said, the biggest uh, drawback to not doing as much preparation as we usually do for that very special episode. So... Yeah. And Pam, you're not an a-hole. You're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. We love your stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, But that's all I had for corrections. All right. Cool, man. Well, let's roll into concert cast. What's going on? Oh, man. This is a good one. So I did score some tickets and I am going again to see Mannequin Party. Do you remember them? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. I remember uh, bleeping out that name a few times at least. Yeah. So they kick so much ass and when i saw they were playing (laughs) at the mohawk in august at first i was like oh i've seen them so many times i'm i'm good and then i listened to their new album and it's so good their new album is called patience and i just went on Bandcamp, and and actually the last time i saw them they played a couple of new songs and i was like okay they're all right and i went on Bandcamp last week and listened to the new album and wow, it, it's so good. It's their best album yet. Like they have cool. three full length albums and each one is better than the last one. And uh, as soon as I heard that album, I bought it. I, you know, I paid to download it and then I got a ticket for their show. So they're, cool. they're actually playing at the end of August at the Mohawk, but indoors where they have a, a smaller indoor stage. So that'll be kind of neat because I've only seen them in the outdoor stage. So... Once again, I mean, have you had a chance to listen to Mannequin since the last time I mentioned them? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. I haven't had a chance to listen to them. I'll have to put that on my list. Let me write this down so my uh, kids can see it on my paper. 
Excellent. Uh, oh, you ask me what that means. It's just a cat, right? Just a mannequin cat. Because we put clothes on animals now. So. <laughs> so when Corey and I talk about music at work, we try to not be vulgar at work. So we refer to them as man puss. And somehow that's <laughs> way worse. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I meant to tell you as well, but I'm actually glad I saved this for the show. We were driving to go eat some barbecue before we left town on our last day. And so we decided to go over to Stubbs Barbecue, which is really, really good. I highly recommend it, by the way. And we drove by our hotel, the Indigo, where we stayed the first night there. And uh, I told you it was right across the street from Stubbs. And you were like, oh, man, you're right in the middle of the heart of it. And like a block away from our hotel was the Mohawk. We passed it. So yeah. I got to see it, which is cool, man. I didn't realize it was that close. Oh, yeah. It's literally the next block. It's like two doors down from Stubbs. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, that's awesome. And like I said, still my favorite venue. Well, if you get too weird, man, the Indigo is a nice hotel to stay in. If, uh, you know, you and your wife maybe just want to uh, stay in town for the night and have fun, you know, go to a show and uh, pop in there. It's a nice hotel, man. Highly recommend it. That actually would be a pretty cool idea for like a staycation. Uh, yeah. Just to, oh, we're going to hang out downtown and spend the night. That could be pretty cool. Uh, I do have another big concert score, which I wasn't expecting because this person is really big and I'm surprised because the last time I went to, I, like I was trying to see her when she was in town, it was a double bill with another big star and they were playing at like the Irwin Center or one of these stadiums and the tickets were ridiculously expensive. So it was like, oh, I guess I'll never see her live, but show got announced, new album got announced. It's Charlie XCX and she's playing at Emo's, which is actually... Not my favorite club in the city, but it's a good venue to see bands. Not the worst place in the world. And it's it's pretty big, but it's not like stadium sized. Um, and the tickets were reasonable. Are you familiar with Charlie XCX? I am not. So you might know she co-wrote a lot of songs. She actually broke out with other acts. You might know the song Fancy. I'm so fancy. You yes, know? I do. So that that's her singing on that song with Iggy Azalea. Okay. And she also wrote the Icona pop song, I Don't Care, I Love It. I don't care. Yeah, I love I it. That song. So she wrote that song too. But so she's probably most known for those two songs at this point. She also, her big like breakout hit single was Boom Clap from, I forget, it was on a movie soundtrack, but that was a really big song as well. A really cool like electronic dance ballad type of song. And that was on an album called Sucker, which is a really awesome album. And that's where I kind of like fell in love with her music. It's a pop album, but it's very rock influenced. And I actually, when I was really into like playing bass, I played along with a lot of the songs on that album because she like toured with a three piece band and it was very like rock oriented. But of course, I love the pop music as well. So her more recent efforts have been more dancey and poppy. And so she announced an album that's coming out in September and the show is going to be in September as well. So I love her music. She's so awesome. Nice, man. You done now? That's it for me. Yeah, it was uh, as usual. Like these things just <laughs> pop into my radar and it's like you never plan for them. They just I'm on these email lists and I see like, oh, just announced Charlie XCX at Emos. And it's like that's a that's a instant purchase. You know, I was like hovering over when they went on sale. To get those. So, yeah. you know. Awesome, man. 
How about yourself? Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention something that the wife and I did while we were in Austin, and it was after we hung out. It was actually our last night there, and so we decided to go out to the Rainy Street District, which, you know, you and I talked about. It's kind of like a little hipster district, right? It's um these old houses that have been turned into bars and restaurants and stuff. If you haven't been out there, man, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Some good food. We ate some Indian out there at a place called Garage Mahal. Okay. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome name. And it was actually really good Indian food. And so while we were out there, I had done some research on the place, as I usually do when we go to places. I'm the planner between my wife and I. And I decided I wanted to go to the oldest house that was there and check it out. It was called the Luster Pearl. And it's a few blocks up from sort of the main part. But we went there and just, you know, kind of settled in and had a drink and, you know, went upstairs and started hearing this music that was playing on the speakers. And the guy started playing a Jason Isbell song called Elephant, which is a fantastic song if you haven't heard it. It's a pretty deeply depressing song um, about a friend of his that passed away from cancer, but if you've had anyone in your life that has been exposed to that, this song will definitely uh, touch a nerve, and it's really good. And we thought, well, maybe that's just on the speakers. Maybe, you know, they're playing something from another night, because we didn't see anyone down in the bar area. And... Uh, we heard the guy say, yeah, this is, you know, beautiful Tuesday night or something like that. I was like, well, this has to be here somewhere. So we kept walking around and walked back to the bar and the guy was set up just playing, you know, just some country tunes and stuff like that. But he had played, you know, that song. Well, he took a break in between. We had sort of sat down at a table in front of him and he came by us and I told him, I said, hey, man, I really love that Isbell song you played. And he said, oh, thanks a lot. And he just started talking to us and everything. And, um, you know, during almost his entire break, we just talked. Really, really friendly guy. And he played a second set. And at the end of it, he said, here's a song for my friends from North Carolina. And he played like another really great Isbell song to finish it out. And uh, after it was done, he probably sat with us for about an hour and we just, you know, shot the you know, for like an hour and stuff. Really, really nice guy. And uh, I wish I could remember his name and hopefully maybe I can look it up and uh, figure out who he was because I know he plays at the Luster Pearl quite a bit. And uh, maybe I can let everyone know on the show what his name was. It was just an awesome experience, you know, just sitting down with a musician and talking to him. And he had told us that one of the cool things about Austin is that he has full medical and dental insurance through the town. And a lot of their musicians have that. And it's just a way for them to keep music within the city of Austin. Oh, wow. I actually was not aware of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It is, and he said that people are trying to get rid of it, but that's one of the things that draws people to Austin is the music, and so they're you know really trying to support that. And even like street performers and stuff like that have good insurance through the town, which I thought was really neat. So I just wanted to mention that as one of the shows we had seen, and again, you know, hope to pull that guy's name up again because he was fantastic and uh, played some great stuff, you know, old country classics and stuff like that that you know I grew up on and, and really enjoy. But then the other thing is some rather disappointing news for the concert cast, and that is that Weird Al is playing next weekend, and I'm not going to be able to go to the show, which sucks. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'd gotten the tickets for my kids in December, and I feel really bad about this, but I didn't have it on my calendar, and I had set up a boys' weekend 
uh, for my good friends in town to be at my house and already plan that. So my wife is actually going to be jumping on that grenade for me and taking the kids to the Weird Al show, which oh, I'm very good. thankful for. Yeah. yeah. I say jumping on the grenade because I don't think she's like a huge Weird Al fan, but I think going to this show will be good for her and she'll really appreciate it a lot more and, uh, you know, very much enjoy herself. And I'm not saying she doesn't like the music, but I don't think it's anything that she's followed like I have since I was a kid. So, <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, that is a shame, but it is cool that the tickets won't go to waste. Yeah. You know, Weird Al is evergreen, you know, just when you think he's washed <laughs> up, they put his music in Stranger Things, and now he's a hot topic again. So. Oh, wow. Is that in the new Stranger Things? I don't remember it from the last season. Yeah, so this season of Stranger Things, I, I'm only up to episode two, but there's a Weird Al song in it. So. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. Yeah, that came out July 4th. Yeah. I haven't started that yet. Had to wait for my wife to get home today before doing that. So uh, look forward to uh, checking that out. And maybe you and I can report back on that. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think we could, you know, all the cool people are watching it. And uh, <laughs> probably most people are finished with it by now. It came out, you know, all of three days ago. So that's plenty of time for people to binge it. But uh, we're only two episodes in, but so far so good. Uh, speaking of stuff the cool people are watching, did you have a chance to finish Ninja Scroll yet? Oh, yeah, I had seen it. I watched it like two months ago when we were first talking right. about it. And uh, you kept not wanting to talk about it, wanting to talk about <laughs> other movies about robots and shit. I don't know what. Like, I just want to talk about anime. And Yeah, I know. I just want to talk about robots and anime. That's <laughs> all we talk about these days. Well, I finally finished it, man. Finally had a chance to watch it. So if you want to discuss that, we can do it. Cool. Well, I've gotten hundreds of tweets saying, like, when are you guys going to talk about Ninja Scroll? So finally, <laughs> right, right. we can deliver on this. <laughs> you know what? I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, but I could see how it has like a cult following, especially yeah. for people who discovered anime at a much younger age than I did. Because you got to remember, as much as I am into anime now, I've only been into it for like five years or so. I was no, yeah. I never, I didn't know what it was when I was, you know, if I was like 13 or 14 and saw this, it would probably have left a really big impression on me. But seeing it now, it's like, okay, this is just the right kind of edgy where I could see, you know, young teenage males enjoying this quite a bit. So It's funny, man. I felt the same way as you did, actually, when I popped it in. I'd seen it early on in college. And, you know, of course, I thought it was cool. A lot of the battle scenes and stuff, some of the more sexualized scenes bothered me as much back then as they do now. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, there's some kind of brutal rape scenes and stuff like that in there that... Uh, I'm just not a fan of, obviously, and uh, it was a little tougher watch for me this time around, but I still like the overall story in general, and, you know, I guess even with the rape scene, she kind of gets hers, you know, in that. Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it, but if you've seen it, you understand what, what I mean by that. So, uh, yeah, like you said, didn't enjoy it as much as I did back in the day, but uh, it's not bad. Uh, it's a pretty good film, and the action scenes are really cool and really fun. And uh, I think it has a really great story. 
It reminds me of those old kung fu flicks like Seven Deadly Venoms where you've got all these different types of ninjas and things like that that you have to get through to make it to sort of the final Grandmaster. Or what was that Bruce Lee film? Oh, man. It wasn't Enter the Dragon, but it was the one where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at one point. Oh, man. Do you remember that film? No, I only have seen <laughs> Enter the Dragon. That's the only Bruce Lee movie I know. Oh, man. This is going to kick my butt. I hate this. Oh, all right. Well, I'll have to figure that out and, you know, report the name of that film back. But anyway, you know, I wanted to give kind of a brief review of Ninja Scroll since I finally did get a chance to see that and you saw it too. And, uh, yeah, I'm not disappointed that I bought it, but... Like I said, uh, not as big a fan of it as I was back in the day. We'll have to pick something else out, man. What's next on the agenda to talk about? You mean as far as the anime cast? Yeah, man. I'm thinking either Paprika or maybe Battle Angel, which is one of my favorites. I would actually love for you to see Paprika. You have not seen that yet, correct? That's correct. I own it, though. Yeah, so, I mean, the fact that we've watched uh, Perfect Blue and mm-hmm. Paprika is another uh, Satoshi Kon film, and it still has that dark edge, but it's like a totally different story. I would I would love to check that out uh, if you're up for it. Yeah, man. I'll uh, put it on the old radar. Okay. Put it next to the old Blu-ray player and check it out when I can. Maybe on my next work from home day, those always seem to be the best times. But speaking of anime, I mentioned something on Twitter that I had a bit of a surprise about something I've been watching recently. Uh, This show I actually started watching on YouTube to see if I would maybe like it. It's one that you recommended and actually ended up purchasing all the episodes on Blu-ray. And that is Cowboy Bebop. Ah, very good. Yeah. I remember this coming on Adult Swim and really never getting into it because... Obviously, I wasn't into anime at the time and uh, didn't really know what it was about and kind of lost in it. But I really enjoy the premise of the show as these two guys being like these kind of space bounty hunters. That's how it starts off anyway. I don't know if more people join them or not because I'm only into like episode three right now. Okay. And I haven't finished that one up yet. So um, I I know there are some more characters that that end up joining the show, including a corgi, which is a little (laughs) dog. (laughs) he's really cool and uh yeah man excited about checking more of that out and uh maybe we can kind of talk about that later on that is cool and then there's not much that can be said about cowboy bebop that hasn't been said already but i'm more than happy to chat about it i love that show and i'm curious now we've talked about English dubs versus subs, but Cowboy Mm -hmm. Bebop famously has what is regarded as one of the best English dubs of all time. It's all but legendary. So I'm wondering, are you watching it in English or in Japanese with subtitles? I'm I'm watching it in English, actually. Okay, cool. I think it's pretty good, actually. Yeah, no, it is very good. (laughs) So, (laughs) and if you got the Blu-ray, there's some really cool... uh, special features and interviews with the voice actors and actresses and it's uh it's a great show the soundtrack too the the like jazz fusion soundtrack is amazing yeah and uh every once in a while at work i'll just put on like a five-hour mix of that (laughs) and just let it play all day uh it's really really good stuff
right, man. Any news to speak of? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Every once in a while, I'll see something that I'm like, oh, you know, that would make a good news. But it never makes enough of an impression that I care enough to jot it down or put it in the notes or shoot you a text about it. Like, do you have anything? Well, I've got a piece of personal news, actually. My wife just celebrated her 40th birthday. Oh, I'm sure she's going to love to know that that made it onto the record. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I threw her a big party last weekend, and uh, we had a great time, man. A lot of old friends stopped by and everything. A lot of people came from out of town, and, uh, you know, it was a good time. She didn't want to have it. She's really kind of modest. You've met her now, so you know she's a little bit reserved and stuff like that, though. You know, she's a good conversationalist, Yeah, but uh, she doesn't like all the attention to be on her. She's that type, and I totally get that, but, uh, you know, I couldn't let her go without uh, throwing a bash for her 40th birthday party, because it's really not about her. It's about everyone else. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's that's cool. Happy birthday. And I guess while if we're doing that kind of news, actually just celebrated my 12th wedding anniversary on the 4th. Congratulations, sir. Mrs. Grey Ghost and I were married on the 4th of July. I don't know if I've ever told the story of how we met on the air. Oh, wow. This will be interesting. Dude, I don't want to play it up too much, but it's pretty much the best, like, how did you guys meet story that's ever been told. Uh, We'll compare those in just a second. Uh, So we were neighbors in a multifamily house that down here they call them duplexes. Uh, But up up in the Northeast, we didn't really use that word. It was a multifamily house. So picture one living space on one side of the house, then a two car garage in the middle and then another living space. The other side of the building, not an apartment building, but a house with two separate domiciles anyway i was living on the left side by myself just working and doing my own thing she was living on the other side with her mother and they had a roommate who was a friend of hers so we were acquainted but we were barely friends and as far as any kind of romantic attraction or anything i just thought like this woman is way out of my league like it wasn't even a thought in my mind like to have her as a romantic interest yeah i met her she is way out of your league by the way. yeah thank you um <laughs> no it's true it's totally true so on july 4th 2006 i was at work And I got a phone call and essentially what happened was lightning struck a tree on her side of the house and the tree hit the house and her side of the house burnt down, basically. Nobody was home and her pets were fine. So nobody got hurt and the animals were fine and everything, but she needed a place to live. So... She moved in with me. You know, it was going to be temporarily, but it turned out to not be temporarily. (laughs) So the lightning struck on July 4th, 2006. So as we had been dating for a while, we ended up moving out of that house and buying our own house. Like a few months later, everything happened just very quickly. And uh, so we were already living together. And I said, we should get married on the 4th of July So we got married on 4th of July, 2007, 
The 4th of July has always been my favorite holiday to begin with because I think America is the greatest country to ever grace the surface of God's green earth. So I love to celebrate our country and now I get to celebrate my marriage. (laughs) So the 4th of July is an incredible and awesome day for me and my wife. Hell yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. My wife and I met at Putt-Putt. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, she was with a friend and um, she had to stop and use the payphone. This dates us, man. This tells you how old we are. She was 17. I was 19. And we've been together ever since. She's 40 and I'm 42 now. So uh, a long time, man. Just celebrated our 15-year anniversary while we were in Austin. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Great place to celebrate it. And uh, actually hoping to come back with her again next year, man. I I hope that this can be a yearly thing. I really enjoy coming down there and uh, us hanging out and stuff. So uh, maybe we can do it again soon. Yeah, I would love to do that. And hopefully by then I'll be in a place professionally where I can plan it out a little better and maybe take a day or two off and we can go do more stuff. Yeah, man. Sounds great. And, uh, you know, speaking of your better half, one of my recent pickups, I went to an antique store on July 4th and picked up a small print Jaws poster for my game room. Awesome. You got to send me a picture of that. I'll show her. Crazy that I picked that up on July 4th and didn't even think about that or, you know, kind of put that together in my head. So it just kind of works out that way, man. But uh, tell me, Sean, what have you picked up recently? My pickups are pretty good. And for once, they're actually interesting. Uh, I'm not going to just list off some games that I bought. I got some pretty cool. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So first, I should say I'm recording this on... A new computer. When you were here, you actually recorded the last show on my old computer. So what a good send off. So you you got to hear the uh, cooling fan in person. And luckily, (laughs) it didn't drown out our conversation. But that computer is now retired. Finally, after Gosh, I mean, speaking of being married for 12 years, I I think I've had that computer (laughs) almost that whole time. (laughs) That's a good life, man. Yeah. So Actually, the reason I bought it was because Mrs. Grey Ghost wanted to play The Sims 4. She's an old (laughs) Sims fan, has been with the series for a long time. I think she stumbled on some like Sims 4 Let's Plays on YouTube and was watching those. And she just said, oh, man, I really want to play this new. It's not new anymore, but, you know, to her, the new Sims game. And so I said, let's start looking at a computer and. It was funny because we couldn't decide. I kind of wanted a laptop, but she wanted to replace the desktop and we were both right. So I actually bought a desktop and a laptop. So nothing crazy. I can't do crazy video gaming on these. I actually looked up the minimum specs for The Sims 4 and bought a computer based on that (laughs) uh, because I knew that anything would be better than my, my old PC. So it's not a real clunker, but it's not a $1,500 gaming PC either, which, you know, same with the laptop. I just got that because we don't have a laptop. It is cool because I can run older GOG type games like 
you know, I threw like Fallout 2 on and was just messing around. Like we played Diablo back in the day. I could probably, <laughs> I mean, I could almost definitely play the GOG, the new version of the first Diablo that came out recently. So that's kind of cool that I can play games like that. I actually ran something even more modern. I can't remember. It was um, Stalker which is like a 3D first-person game. Not super intense, but the PC can run games like that. So, Very cool, man. Yeah, it's neat. So that is my first score. What else do I got? Oh, so you saw my tweet. I now own two copies of Albert Odyssey on the <laughs> Sega Saturn, which is one of these low-print uh, working designs, RPGs for the Saturn that kind of highly sought after and somewhat valuable and this has kind of a cool story so my friend tyler back in new jersey i've talked about him before uh, shout out to tyler he you know had a saturn growing up and he once upon a time let's say like six or seven years ago when i lived in new jersey he said oh do you want this it was an empty case for the game albert odyssey and he said i had this as a kid i i have no idea where the disc is uh, but do you want this? And I was like, yeah, of course. So I held on to that for a while and I actually just had it sitting on my shelf empty, looking pretty. And about a year or two ago, I decided to just pull the trigger on. I just bought the disc off of eBay for the going price at the time. And so I completed the copy. But then last week or the week before, he texts me a picture of the disc, Albert Odyssey, and he says, any interest? <laughs> I just said, yeah, I'm interested, but to be completely honest, like I don't need it and you should just sell it. And he said, no, my brother found it and his wife was going to throw it in the garbage. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to wow. mail it to you. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to be honest because I think I've mentioned on the show or I think I mentioned it in Bickman's profile that I used to be like very... I don't want to use the word conniving, but I was very like, yeah, you should give me all your stuff. Like I had that like kind of attitude with people who I knew had video games, you know, and I, I feel bad about that sometimes when I look back on it. So when he was like, do you need this? And I was like, no, I don't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then lo and behold, he was like, nope, it's going to get tossed if you don't take it. So I was like, all right, send it to me. You know, I'll give it a good home. You know who does need it? Yeah. Your conniving friend, Rich. <laughs> well, now here's the thing. It's disc only. Do you want a disc only copy of this game? Well, you know, I would probably like for us to play this as a playthrough sometime, depending on the length of it. I'm just not sure. You may know better than I do. You obviously know better than I do. It's not that long. I, I have played through it. You know, it's not like some 70 hour thing. It's probably 20 to 30 hours. You know, for something like that, that I don't know a whole lot about. I don't know if I'd want to put the money into it to have a full copy right now. So, yeah, yeah man, if it's disc only, I would consider that for sure. I know that's unlike me, but for a game, you know, that volume and price, I would probably be interested. Just put it in a blank case for now until I can find something later like you did. Okay, well, I haven't even tested it, but I will take a look at it and we'll see if it works and maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, maybe so, man. We can <laughs> <laughs> so I got one more score, and this is actually kind of a cool story, and it was really a hell of a deal. Came out around the time of E3. I think it was during E3. So 
Microsoft makes this announcement that they're creating a new service because they have this thing called Games Pass, and they also have Xbox Live, which has games with gold. And they announced this thing called Games Pass Ultimate, which kind of merges the two. And I don't know what the selling point of this service is besides that it's kind of like Xbox Live and Game Pass all in one. But when they first launched it, they did this crazy deal that you could pay $1 to essentially upgrade if you had either Xbox Live or Game Pass you can upgrade it for $1 and then it's whatever remainder you have on either subscription or both of them combined and you have this Game Pass Ultimate. So for example, I'll I'll just go through my story. I've never had Game Pass, uh, but I had Xbox Live for about three months remaining. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this upgrade thing. What I did was I went on Amazon and bought a code for 12 more months of Xbox Live and I threw it on my account because I used a code that I bought off Amazon. It gave me a 13th month if I signed up for auto pay or like auto renew. So I was like, okay, yep, I'll take that. So I did that, added 13 months to my thing and then I upgraded. So now I have that ultimate thing. Aside from the 12 months, which became 13 months subscription to Xbox Live, I upgraded to have now this ultimate service, which includes Game Pass for $1. Nice. So it's a really cool service and it was a crazy good deal. And I actually, one of the things that I that made me want to mention this on the show is I have to shout out some of the Cartridge Club members for having a thread about this on Twitter. So I don't know if you follow Wario64 on Twitter. He posts like all kinds of game deals and stuff like all the time. It's kind of like cheap ass gamer. Just it's a different account, a different person. No, I don't. Oh, you should follow at Wario64. Like game deals all day yeah so he posted something about it and then josh leslie over you know cartridge club member retweeted it and said this is like the deal of the year you got to jump on this it was very confusing to me at first because you know to i explained that whole thing like so imagine trying to figure that out by reading a couple tweets you know what i mean so what what am i doing upgrading game pass like i you're, you're combining all these services. It only costs a dollar, but it's this, it's that, it's stacking. It's, and it was all very confusing. But between Josh and Sean Player One and Mighty Q Dog, they had this thread going on Twitter where they were just kind of hashing it out with each other. Like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I did this, and I have this service, and I have this one. It combined to this, and now I have it until this date. Like, they really just banged it out until I was like, oh, okay, I get what's going on. And that's how I decided, okay, I'm going to add to my Xbox Live account and then upgrade. And now I'm good to go till October 2020. And I have Games Pass and all this. So I really got to shout out that crew for doing that uh, because they explained everything in a really simple way, unlike yeah. what I just did. <laughs> but actually, I mean, I know you're not a, a digital person but like this games pass service is freaking awesome you just log on and there's like uh, i don't know 250 some odd games on it right now and you just go on and pick whatever you want and download it and you can play it as long as you're subscribed so 
it's pretty great for games that you wouldn't want to shell out for or games you just want to try, you know. Like for me, there's a lot of games that I want to play, but I don't want in my collection. I don't want my collection growing that much right now. So it's pretty awesome to be able to go online and just download a couple games and try them. Yeah, I hear you. I think like you and I have very different styles as we've talked about before. And I think a big part of mine is my collection is reaching 4,000 right now. And uh, I just feel like I have so much here already to play that having a service where I can download more games, I don't think I would use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for you, that's your situation. That makes total sense. For me, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm con- I'm like diverging completely from that. I, I mean, you saw my game room, which I think my collection probably topped out at about a thousand pieces, and now I'm down to, I don't know, probably six or seven hundred. I hope or mm-hmm. fewer than that. I mean, so for me, PlayStation Plus is kind of dropping the ball. Like I hope they do kind of the same thing that Microsoft did and they have something very similar called PlayStation Now and I'm really hoping they do the same thing and just kind of merge PlayStation Plus with that and if they do like having this thing on the Xbox and something like that on the PlayStation like it'll really cut down on games that I feel like I need to own you know and games that I want to buy games that I want to have on the shelf so yeah that's all for my pickups what about you Rich? All right, man. Well, uh, I guess one of the biggest pickups this past month is that my son had his birthday and he got a Wii U for his birthday, as I've spoken about several times. And uh, I got him Mario Maker, Hyrule Warriors, and Splatoon for the Wii U. And uh, actually, Pokin Tournament as well. It's been kind of a cool thing. I mean, I say I got them for him, but you know, it's kind of like our collection. This is kind of the first thing that we're starting to collect together. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, hey, man, come into the game room anytime. Borrow what you want, except for Bayonetta 2. It's a little bit too much for you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to put the kibosh on that for now. But um, we've just picked up a slew of games. And, uh, you know, I even picked up some down in Texas when I was there. I was with you and I picked up Tank, Tank, Tank which looks like a really cool game and got some good reviews. Yeah, it's really fun. I have picked up Kirby, Wonderful 101, NES Remix, Pikmin 3, Mario Party 10, Monster Hunter 3, Ultimate, DK Country, Tropical Free, Xenoblade Chronicles X, Mario Tennis, Yoshi's Woolly World, Tokyo Mirage, Sessions F, Star Fox Zero, which I know you're happy about. Hell yeah. I can't wait to hear your impressions of that because sometimes I feel like I'm just friggin' crazy for loving that game. So, And last but not least, my wife got me a GameStop card for Father's Day and I picked up Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. Just wanted to go ahead and get it and not have to wait for the purchase of a Switch, which, you know, is probably going to be maybe a year or two down the road. And uh, definitely wanted to check this game out. And especially for my son, I thought it might be a good introduction into the Zelda series as he's played the first Zelda game and cleared the first dungeon on the original NES. I thought this would be something neat for him to uh, play on his Wii U. And so now, as far as my collecting is concerned with Wii U, GameStop is getting ready to stop doing Wii and Wii U games, so take advantage and get as much stuff as you can at a good price. That's what I've been doing recently. The only two games I'm still looking for is Pac-Man Ghostly Adventures 2 and Devil's Third, and that's pretty much it, unless uh, you know there's some gems out there that anybody can convince me to get. 
Awesome. Well, as I play more and more Wii U games, I will see if I can recommend anything to you. I hope that you can find Devil's Third. It's a little bit hard to find, but Pac-Man 2 is very readily available. So that's pretty awesome. And again, I, I would recommend that you throw out a few Wii U hashtags on Twitter and get into the community. As I said on last month's show, between the Vita community on Twitter and the Wii U community on Twitter, it's uh, two kind of dead-ish consoles that didn't really get the love that they deserved in their time because of kind of being mishandled by their respective companies. So th- there's really well-meaning fans out there who share their love for the Vita and the Wii U. And that's one of my favorite things about when I log on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, even though the company mishandled the presentation of these systems, it doesn't mean there aren't great games on these systems and that these systems aren't really, really good systems. You know, I I love my Vita and loving my Wii U now, or my son's Wii U now. (laughs) Misspoke. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And it's funny because you would have thought that I would have learned my lesson with the Vita because when the Vita was out, you know, we did a podcast a really long time ago on Gravity Rush. And I said, like, when the Vita came out, I thought it was stupid. And why would anybody want one? And then by the time I got one, it was just like, oh, man, this is like the greatest handheld ever created, you yeah. know? And it's like, I should have learned my lesson with that. But I was sleeping on the Wii U for a long time until I finally got a couple <laughs> and now uh, now it's it's just banging i play it all the time so it's awesome cool just go through the rest of my pickups kind of quick i picked up a copy of lost magic which is an rpg on the ds i got it for a few bucks so i thought you know i'll try it out i've seen some pretty good reviews on it i got a copy of night quest which is a game boy game it's an RPG, and I'm really, really looking forward to playing this and, you know, checking this out on the handheld, maybe, you know, kind of in the evenings before I go to bed. I'm just kind of getting to the point where I want to start playing more handheld games and maybe some longer games like RPGs, and I think this is going to kind of scratch that retro itch as well as something, you know, decent for the handheld that I've seen some really good reviews regarding. I picked up a copy of Battletoads and Battle Maniacs for the Super Nintendo. It's one of the games that I didn't have, surprisingly, and was able to get that at my uh, honey hole for a very, very good price. They had it marked down because of condition, which was just ridiculous. There's like a little piece of the label that's pushed up on the top, so really silly. But anyway, have you heard of the game Moonlighter? No, I don't think so. I found this game for the PS4, and I had never heard of it before. And I like the artwork. It looked like a game that was a small release. What this game is, it's an RPG where you play as a shopkeeper, and the idea is that you go into dungeons at night and loot them and kill all these monsters and bosses so you can bring it back to your store to sell the items. So it's kind of a role reversal, you know what I mean? A little bit of a flip, and I thought that was a pretty cool idea. And so I picked this up for a really good price, and uh, yeah, man, I'll let you know. I'm going to uh, check it out. I haven't started playing it yet, but it looks like one that uh, I'll be playing in the near future. I also picked up a copy of Katamari Forever for the PS3. Uh, this is a Katamari game that I didn't have, and probably the last one that I needed in my collection that I haven't picked up yet. 
And then I picked up a copy of Conker's Pocket Tales for the Game Boy Color, which I'm interested in checking out to see how it differs from uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. And that was another one that I picked up for just a few bucks and uh, was kind of like, you know, why not? Another thing that I picked up recently, actually just a day ago, was a Super Nintendo cartridge drawer. I think it's made by a company called ATS, and I picked it up at this game shop that I frequent for like 10 bucks or so, and I needed something to kind of better store my Super Famicom carts because the way that they're shaped, they're impossible to stack because when you try to stack them, they'll just lean over and topple. And you can't go too high with the stack. So I thought, what a better way to do it than to actually have maybe a few drawers. I'm actually going to be looking for another one to put those in and to just be able to, you know, pull out and save some space on my shelves and also keep my carts from toppling over and uh, falling, which is going to be nice. And then I got something in the mail from a good friend on Twitter, a guy named Atari Spot. Not only with Retro Nonsense Duke do I trade with him, but uh, this guy named Atari Spot, who, if you're interested in the 2600, you definitely need to follow. He posts some great stuff, very knowledgeable, and uh, he's always sending me variants. He sent me a copy of Challenge, which is uh, by Zellers, which is a Canadian company, the cart is pretty cool. It has like Ghostbusters artwork on it. Zellers was sort of this company up in Canada. They did a lot of like bootleg cartridges and sold them in their stores, which were actually called Zellers. And uh, I'm trying to go for a complete set of those carts and don't have many left. And he sent me a copy of Breakout with the orange label, which is also tough to find, and a copy of Skydiver with a white label, which I've never seen before. The white text is just a really cool variation. He also sent me numbered copies of uh, Air Sea Battle Surround and Street Racer. They have numbers on them because these were the original games that were released with the Atari, and the number was actually their production number in line. And so there's eight or nine of those carts and so I'm trying to put together a complete set of those two and have about two more left and so he really helped me out there with those. He pointed me onto a Sears Picture Asteroid variant which I now have in my collection and uh, also he had a copy of Bumper Bash for the SpectraVision which is a fairly rare game and uh, he gave me such an incredible price on that and just really appreciate it. It's actually a pinball game. I thought it might be a car racing game but it's actually pinball. And then uh, my last two pickups, one of which might be of interest to you, Sean. Uh, as I was at your place, I noticed you had a copy of a game, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's this little stick that kind of floats around, and you try to stay away from the sides as it kind of twirls. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Kuru 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 Ren. Yeah, so anyway, did you know that there was a PS1 game that was very similar to that? It's called Irritating Stick. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard of Irritating Stick. <laughs> uh, I found that locally, man, for a great price once again at my honey hole, and so I picked that up, and uh, it just reminded me of that, and I'm like, oh man, the irony of just being at Sean's place and seeing a game so similar to that, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then finally, a game that I picked up in Austin that I actually sent you a picture of and posted on Twitter. I grabbed a copy of Team Buddies for the PS1, which is a very hard-to-find game and one that's a bit pricey. And uh, I got that in Austin at the mall at a store and actually had to do the walk-away two times on this guy. I offered him a price that I told him I was going to pay for it, and he didn't want to bend, but I asked him the question, so how long has that been sitting on your shelf? (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put that little bug on right. his ear and did a walk away two times. And uh, he actually bent and um, gave it to me at what I was willing to pay. So I added that to my collection. Haven't gotten to play it yet, but I'm definitely excited to play it when I have some friends in town. Because I know that's kind of a team game and should be a lot of fun. Cool. I have to ask you now, because when we were game hunting here, we went to a couple of stores and you scooped up a bunch of Atari 2600 games. I did. And at the time you thought that maybe some of them might have been noteworthy or Mm -hmm. rare or valuable or something. And I'm wondering, once you got those home and were able to uh, vet those games, did you have any hidden treasures or was it all just fodder for the collection? Well, you know, the one game that you're mentioning in particular that I found was a copy of Defender without any controller info on it. And it was Mm -hmm. a nice cart, beautiful label and everything, but it was cracked in the back, which is unfortunate, but I still got it because I knew it was a rare game. And I mentioned my friend Atari Spot on Twitter. I sent him a picture of it. He verifies like, oh man, yeah, those are really, really hard to find. Probably one of the hardest to find without controller info. He's like, that's a great score. So yeah, I did vet that cart and I can't remember what the price was. I think I got it for four bucks because it had that crack on it. So I don't know what, how much it's worth or anything, but I'm just happy to have it in my collection. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Cool. All right, man, let's talk about what you're playing. So I've been playing two games for like the past two or three months. And one of them I mentioned last month, it's called Brave Story New Traveler. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will know this game as the PSP game whose cover art is landscape oriented. And it is a traditional Japanese RPG. And it's really cool. One of the things that caught my eye about it was the art style because it looks a lot like one of my favorite games on the PS2, which is Radiata Stories. The games look very similar. Uh, Not the same developer, but they just happen to look very much alike. So that's what caught my eye at first. And then a Twitter user named Britta... And I believe her handle is at food for dogs and it's food, the number four dogs. I got to shout her out because she was playing the game and I said, Hey, I've been wanting to play this game. How is it? And she gave me a quick rundown of the game with a description, you know, traditional RPG with a heavy crafting elements and a little bird catching mini game. And that all caught my ear. And then she said, it's very easy though. Be prepared to breeze through it. So I was like, okay, sign me up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So so I started playing that game about two months ago and uh, it's a PSP game. I'm playing it on the Vita and I do enjoy it quite a bit. And it is just a traditional JRPG, just total comfort food type of game. And it's a town dungeon overworld kind of routine. There are nice little flourishes, though, like in the battle screen, there's a lot of cool animations. And sometimes it breaks into like slow motion when the enemy attacks you and stuff. It's it's pretty neat for a PSP game. And there's all these like comic book action like onomatopoeia words on the screen like almost like the 60s batman show like (laughs) yeah you know you hit somebody it just says whack on the screen or something (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah that's cool there's a lot of little like cool flourishes like that in the game and the story's good enough the characters are good enough but 
you know, it's taken me so long to play because I'll pick it up and play it for like 45 minutes and then just put it down and not play it for two days. Like, it's not like I'm addicted to it, but I am enjoying it. So nice, I'm just man. taking my time with it. You know what I mean? It's it's fine. Yeah, that's what I want to do too. You know, just have something I can just take my time with. And that's why I mentioned, you know, putting in some RPGs and playing some of those, you know, during the month in addition to, you know, playing the games that we're doing for the show. Well, you might want to take a look at this one. Uh, okay. Pretty enjoyable. I, there's a lot of stuff I really like about it, and there's almost nothing that like to dislike about it. You know what I mean? There's no major drawbacks. Yeah, cool. So the other game I'm playing, and I've uh, again, I've been playing this for kind of a while now, just taking my time with it, is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 on the original Xbox. Cool, man. Ever since I played... And I'll call it KOTOR, like the cool kids. Uh, (laughs) Again, we cater to the cool kids. Ever since I played the first KOTOR, I really liked it. And for those who don't know, the first game is a Bioware game. And then the second game, KOTOR 2, was developed by Obsidian in the engine from the first game. So like Obsidian does a lot, they take the original game's engine. Like they did this with Fallout 3 which was Bethesda developed it and then Obsidian did Fallout New Vegas in that engine. So the cool thing about Obsidian and what a lot of people like who are big Obsidian fans like myself is that they do these games and these properties that are established and do these sequels or spinoffs or whatever you want to call them. And a lot of times in many ways, they're better than the originals. A lot of people you'll ask they will say that New Vegas is better than Fallout 3. I'm not sure a ton of people would say KOTOR 2 is better than KOTOR 1. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Like, I played KOTOR 1 like three or four years ago, so I don't remember it that well. But I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying KOTOR 2. And I'll, I'll tell you, we talk a lot, or at least I do, about like what makes you stick with a game and what makes you bail out on a game if you don't think you're enjoying it kind of thing. Yeah. And I got to be completely, totally honest here. It took me a little while to get into this game, but the reason I didn't bail on it is because I'm such a big Obsidian fan and like in my eyes, they can do no wrong. And I just <laughs> knew that if I just gave it a chance and kind of stuck with it, that it would get its hooks in me. <laughs> And it really did. It's a cool adventure RPG. And if you like Bioware games like Mass Effect, or if you played the first KOTOR and never played the second one, like this game's really good. And it's got that Western RPG feel of just throwing your party together and running around and talking to people. There's a ton of dialogue trees and it's really well written. Uh, A lot of it's funny. A lot of it's menacing and dangerous you know there's this whole the whole star wars mythology is in it and your character can go dark side and light side and um actually all the members of the party can be affected by that it's a very very good game and actually whereas with brave story i'm kind of taking my time because i'm enjoying it but it doesn't have its hooks in me with kotor i'm taking my time because it does have its hooks in me and it's like man i want to savor this because You know, Obsidian, they've only made so many games, you know, and some of their games are not in my wheelhouse. Like they make a lot of CRPGs that, you know, I might try someday, but I actually like their more just Western console style RPGs. So, cool. 
Yeah. So have you ever played the first Knights of the Old Republic or any interest in the series at all? I would definitely be interested in playing the first one at some point because I've heard really, really good things from people about that possibly being the best game on the original Xbox. And so I'd definitely like to maybe dive into that at some point. I'm definitely a Star Wars fan, have been since I was a kid. And so a game about Star Wars, yeah, sign me up. Most people know I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but whatever part of the mythology this is in, it has nothing to do with the movies like it's it's not set anywhere near the original trilogy or the prequels or the new movies or anything like that so it it almost feels like its own like spin-off of Star Wars like there's lightsabers and stuff and you see like um droids and wookie like all the alien races are there but there's no like oh it's Chewbacca oh it's Jabba the Hutt it's some other something the hut and some other Wookiee that they're their own characters and they have their own stories. So it's pretty cool for me as someone who doesn't really care about star Wars from that angle. I'm not looking for any kind of like references, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I can't get that Kotar out of my head though. It reminds me of some caveman name or something. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kotar of the hill people. <laughs> Do you remember that skit? No, I don't think so. What is that from? SNL? Yeah, it's a Mike Myers skit, Lothar of the Hill People. Yeah, you have to check that out. You put that on the radar. All right, man, anything else? Uh, No, that's really it. I could go into some other things, but maybe I'll save them for next week or next month. Cool. So what about you? What have you been playing? Well, man, uh, surprisingly, I actually played some games this month. (laughs) It was kind of dry last time. I came in and we recorded, which I felt really bad about. So the Game Boy Advance and the games that I brought with me on the trip, that effort didn't go in vain. I actually played some Game Boy on the way home. You know, some of them were some classics. I played Buster Brothers. Have you ever played that game? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've played it. Okay, well, it's a good port on the original Game Boy. You're a guy in a safari hat that has like a harpoon gun that shoots up in the air, and there's these kind of blobs that float down, and you hit them, and they split until they get into smaller pieces, and then you can hit them, and you basically clear stages. It's a fun game. You know, it's an arcade port, and uh, it's one that I would recommend if you're a Game Boy collector and if you like that series. Also, uh, I played Dig Dug, which is a game that I had purchased fairly recently on the Game Boy. Again, if you're a fan of the Dig Dug series, it's um, very much just a port of the arcade version. It's not bad. I mean, it's not arcade quality, of course, but uh, you know, for a Game Boy title, it's worth owning. And then finally, a game that I played on the way back from our trip was Elevator Action. Now, Sean, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I actually bought a Taito cab with the intention of putting an elevator action arcade game into it. And I've actually got the board now, so I'm going to be working on converting the current machine to an elevator action. So this was kind of a a budget thing that I did because elevator action tends to be a very pricey arcade game. So I found a machine that was a good cab with a good monitor in it and then bought the board separately in a way to, you know, save money and create that. But I actually have the game on the Game Boy and I found it rather neat and actually a decent port of the game. However, there are some notable differences with the original elevator action. If you get hit one time, it's insta-death. You know, Mm. it's that 
arcade hard kind of game. But with the Game Boy version, you actually have a small life bar, which is, I thought, a neat addition to the game. There's some enemies that I haven't seen in the original game yet. There's actually these dogs, which you're going to hate. I know that you have to shoot. (laughs) But animated Game Boy violence, not so bad. And perhaps they're in the arcade version too, but perhaps I'm just not good enough to make it that far yet. But uh, yeah, just some noteworthy changes that I wanted to mention in the Game Boy version. Elevator action goes anywhere from 7 to 10 bucks, and I would say it's a game, if you do like that arcade game, definitely worth picking up for the Game Boy. And then the final thing is a Wii U game. And I'm going to sound crazy in mentioning this title, but I actually bought it for my youngest son. My youngest son is obsessed with the movie Cars. And so I bought a copy of Cars 3 Driven to Win for the Wii U. And I actually got sucked into playing this game and have enjoyed it quite a bit. It's a very good racing game. It has all the characters from Cars and you can unlock a ton of characters unlock a ton of abilities, but it's very, very well done. It has a really cool drifting feature in it that you have to kind of master to win, and um, very, very competitive game, and one I would say you can get it at a decent price. If you can find it under 20 bucks, you're doing well. I've seen it for like 30 in some places. I would say this game's a bit of a, dare I say, hidden gem for the Wii U. It's not the type of game that you would imagine would be a great game, you know, coming from Cars 3, the movie, and, you know, being a licensed title that's very much a kiddie title. But I would say if you like racing games or into that, Cars 3 is one you should definitely pick up for the Wii U. And I believe it's on several other systems as well. I believe it's on PlayStation 3, but I can't say as to how that plays. But that's it, man. Other than playing my Pinbot and Grand Lizard pinball machines, which are now fixed, my friend brought them back to my house, and uh, man, I've been enjoying those a lot. They're beautiful. Nice. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't make sure to shout out the YouTuber Mini-Me, since you mentioned (laughs) Cars 3, because he has a almost a series of videos on all the cars video games and (laughs) uh, one of the general themes of his reviews are that like hey these games aren't that bad and he especially i i think he spoke highly of cars 2 and cars 3 so it makes sense to hear that you pop that in and we're actually enjoying it because like i said he kind of picks out games that you wouldn't think would be that great and actually gives them a fair shake and he has ended up reviewing a lot of the licensed cars games so that's funny i think somewhere between the nintendo which if you remember the Capcom games, licensed games like Disney games like DuckTales, Chippendales, Darkwing Duck, all of those are fantastic games, you know? And um, those were licensed titles that were sort of what you would say are kiddie games. But I feel like somewhere along the way, there was a lot of shovelware that was sort of developed for systems after those were out. So it's kind of always hit or miss with these licensed titles. And for some reason, man, this one just ended up being really, really good. Yeah, I think they put a lot of thought into this game. And uh, yeah, you definitely should check it out, man. Add it to your Wii U collection. I will. I'll give you a shot.
So last month we played Twisted Metal 2 and Twisted Metal Black. The first being on the PlayStation, the other being on the PS2, but you can play them in many other formats as well, especially through the PSN network. And we asked the question, if you were a Twisted Metal competitor, what would your vehicle and special attack be? And you know what, Sean? I proposed two questions to you. This was the first one. This is the one you said you liked the best and the one we went with. And I felt like neither of the questions I proposed was very strong. I was like, if you come up with something else, man, just let me know. But I got to tell you, we had some awesome answers on social media from this question, right? Yeah, I think this was a really fun one that allowed people to get creative with their answers. And I think those sometimes can be the best types of questions. So we did really well. Can Should I jump right into it? Absolutely. You pulled them all, so go right ahead. All right. So from Retro Nonsense, the aforementioned Duke0619, he said, I'd be an electrician's van that overpowers my enemy by showing up late without a phone call, not taking off my muddy shoes in their living room, and for the death blow, an outrageous service charge. My <laughs> logo on the side of the van is a huge butt crack. <laughs> can you tell what his occupation is <laughs> i was wondering is that his occupation or is he it dealing is. with yeah. a, a shitty electrician at the moment i couldn't figure that out no i think he's just a shitty electrician oh damn <laughs> shots fired <laughs> well he he wants to be one in twisted metal that's for sure <laughs> Uh, good friend, man. I got to bust his balls a little bit, though. All right. Moving on to Engineer Mike. He said, I would drive a certain 1958 Plymouth Fury named Christine. Special attacks can be ramming your enemies until you are both twisted wrecks, but having the supernatural ability to self-repair after your enemy is defeated. That's a cool uh, nod to the Stephen King novel and movie. Yes, it is. Um so here's an interesting one from our buddy Tom, the Pocky X. So he put up a picture of a car with some kind of anime rap on it, and he just said, beep, beep, mother <laughs> So, <laughs> So I tweeted back at him. I said, look, man, Rich is going to expect me to know what anime this is, but I have no idea. <laughs> I said, please help us out here. Yeah. So he says it's Konata and Kanata from Lucky Star, the second best anime about anime. And he said the first best is Shiro Bako, and everyone should watch that. So I've heard of both of these shows, but I've not seen them. But they come highly recommended from the Pocky X. Yeah, apparently the special move is you beep the horn twice and it has sex with your mom. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. I love it. 
Chris at CollectorCast, he says, a 67 Chevy Impala, special attack, none needed. Just drive into them with 2.5 tons of Detroit steel. <laughs> All right. God bless America. Next, uh, another American muscle car from Buried on Mars. He says, the 77 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, special weapon, bandit charm. <laughs> So this is a reference to Smokey and the Bandit, and the right? Bandit. Yeah, Burt Reynolds, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So next we have the Deviate. He says, I would drive a wheeled Commodore 64 armed with a 1541 cannon on the side that shot five and a quarter floppies that explode when they hit an opponent or said opponent drives over them. <laughs> That is a very good one. Uh, Steven Eider chimes in. He said, the Soylent Green People Scooper. I think that answers both (laughs) questions. (laughs) It's people. Uh, That was a great one. Uh, Next, we have Travis from Polykill. He said, it'd totally be an old rusted out pickup truck that launched an exploding mattress out of the bed every time it backfired whole backstory would be i'm trying to move my daughter into college and winning the series would pay her tuition (laughs) (laughs) i love it Uh, i got a couple more here so next i got i got crabmaster 2000 via the personal bat phone that he and i have Uh, with each other he said so jealous yeah (laughs) <laughs> he said, I'd be a Pontiac Sunfire, and my special would be turning on a magnet so that the other racers got sucked directly into me and we both took equal damage. <laughs> so I don't know if that's, or, is that a reference to something? Because I actually thought like, wow, that answer sounds like a vehicle that would actually be in the game. Yeah, you know? I, I don't know. I think it's just maybe a reference to the Pontiac Sunfire and just the goodness okay. that it brought to Earth when it was built. <laughs> but uh, if we're wrong, uh, you know, it'll show up on mistakes our friends made. So win well, win. Yeah, when you hear Krabby, when you hear this, just jump on the thread and let us know if there was any like backstory to that or if you just like that car. Um, Corey uh, at Turnaround and Run, former guest of the show, good friend of the show. He said a 2019 Indian Scout Bobber, which is a motorcycle, special attack electric rope. And he even uh, tweeted a picture of this bike at us, and it looks beautiful. Beautiful bikes, yeah. Uh, So that's all the responses we got online. As usual, I asked my significant other, Mrs. Grey Ghost, and she said she would take the SWAT van from Fear the Walking Dead. This is no, it's a military vehicle known as an MRAP, and that sound stands for Mine Resistant Something Personnel. I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's this big military vehicle, and the special attack is within the show. You pull a lever, and this big thing comes down, like a, a hatch opens in the top, and these automatic turret machine guns just go off and, you know, mow down anything that's around it. So Nice. Yeah. So, I guess that leaves us. Yeah, it is. We kept our uh, <laughs> answers away from Twitter. So, uh, who's going first, man? I mean, I'll just go first because I wasn't super creative with this. I thought about it, and I'm not really a car guy. 
I like cars, but I don't know enough about them to be like, oh, this is a really cool car. This classic car is one that I would really like. And this. So anyway, I would take Mecha Godzilla, and mm-hmm. he has all kinds of built-in attacks, uh, rockets out of his hands and fire breath and all that other stuff. So I would take Mecha Godzilla, not built for speed, but I think his durability would would really help out. I'm sure there's a Mecha Godzilla Hot Wheels car somewhere out there. Ooh, so, that'd yeah. be sweet. Keep a lookout for that. Track that down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Here's what I went with. Hold on. <laughs> so I'm taking the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile, and I'm painting it as a banana because it has that curve to it. You know what I mean? It's awesome. I love it. And my special attack is going to be called the Banana Hammock, <laughs> and it's going to shoot out this metal net that just shocks the hell out of them that's awesome that's I can it see it yeah you know i bet you they're out there like fan hacks of twisted metal we need to get all these vehicles that everybody said <laughs> into like a special playcast fan hack of twisted metal too how cool would that be that'd be incredible i'm sure they listen to the show so yep any PS1 hackers out there and modders, <laughs> please make please make this version of Twisted Metal 2. Thank you. Absolutely. Extra long banana, please. <laughs> All right, man. So before we get into talking about the games we played this month, let's give a shout out to our participants, Hugh and I, of course. Our buddy Dougley007, Crabmaster2000, and again, a recent convert to the old playthroughs, Mr. Stubbs is playing with us again. I'm really, really happy with the participation we got here. We've got some guys that have been playing most of our games all year, and it's really awesome to see that. So, um, yeah, keep following, guys. Keep playing and uh, keep shouting it out on the forums. So, Twisted Metal 2 and Twisted Metal Black are what I would describe as vehicular combat games, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. There's no big bells and whistles to these games. Basically, you take a demolition derby, and then you add rockets and machine guns to it. But what you get is something incredibly awesome in the playing experience. This is sort of the case for most of the series, though it does veer a little bit in some of the other games, which I think we'll maybe discuss a little bit later on in the show. So, Twisted Metal 2 was released on Halloween, October 31st, in 1996 for the PlayStation 1. It was developed by Sony Interactive Studios and published by Sony Computer Entertainment. Twisted Metal Black was released June 18th, 2001 for the PS2 and developed by Incognito Entertainment and, once again, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. So... Sean, before we get into talking about the games, the gameplay and the story, and all the jazz we usually go through, what are some of your earliest memories of playing Twisted Battle, or is this perhaps the first time you've played anything in the series? Well, you played it back in 86, I know. Yeah, when I was <laughs> between episodes of G.I. Joe. Yeah, so this is actually one of those series that, despite being a huge Sony fan, a a big PS1 and PS2 guy, it was always in my orbit, but I never really got into it. I I know I played it back in the day, but this, just now, playing, you know, Part 2 and Black, is the first time I've ever finished one of these games. So I know it's it's just one of those things that I've probably had, probably borrowed a copy here and there, and 
I'm sure I, I don't own any of them now. I'm sure I have in the past, but uh, just always been in the ether, but never yeah. something I was really into. What about you? Yeah, you know, my earliest memory of playing Twisted Metal would be the first game. And I remember it vividly. I remember there's this old school retail store. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was called Service Merchandise. And I remember that they had like a kiosk set up with a demo disc in it. And this was on that demo disc. And I remember also getting the demo disc from like a magazine or something like that and actually trying out this game. I think it only maybe had like the first level on it, as most demo discs do. And then, you know, ended up purchasing the game and just having a lot of fun with it. I remember playing this with my brother and he was so much younger than me, 12, almost 13 years younger than me, just completely annihilating him playing this game. But it was a lot of fun. Um, I'll say that probably enjoyed playing the game solo as opposed to two-player just because the split screen was just kind of rough. You know, back then, the graphics weren't the greatest, but were good for that time. But even with split screen, it was, you know, just really tough. So, uh, yeah, I have some very, very fond memories of this game. And uh, our buddy Crabmaster, he and I were, were talking about this. And, you know, our biggest thing was, would this series, you know, hold up over time, which I'm basically going to say for my final thoughts. Okay. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the story. I think one of the things about this series of game is that it basically starts off with the same story. There's this supernatural being, almost demigod, I think Crabmaster referred to him as a magical genie at one point, named Calypso, who comes down to Earth. Um, Earth is in a very kind of post-apocalyptic state, and he wants to have this contest known as Twisted Metal, hence where the name of the game comes from. And it's this sort of barbaric contest where the winner gets a wish and gets to have whatever they desire. So that is sort of the temptation, the fruit, if you will, to get people to bite and actually play the game. So it sets up this very interesting dynamic of... What do people want? What is it that is going to get someone to actually risk their lives to join this contest, you know? And so you get a little of that with the, not only intros, but with the endings of the game, as, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on. So uh, what did you think about the story, Sean? Was it something as being sort of a first-time player? Is it something that, you know, kind of captivated you, or was it just enough maybe to, uh, you know, get you to play the game? I actually like the story a lot because it sets up these be-careful-what-you-wish-for morality <laughs> tales, pretty yeah. much. And they really remind me of, like, Twilight Zone episodes or... <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Uh, like, EC Comics, like Tales from the Crypt type of stuff mm -hmm. that have these, like... Uh, again, it's just be careful what you wish for. And when we get into like some of the endings and what actually happens, some of them are really well written and twisted, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was a really cool setup. And it drove me to actually replay the game multiple times, which is the whole point of that, you know? So yeah. I played through both games twice with different characters. 
And I started at one point just watching all endings like YouTube videos and it was actually kind of boring. I think you have to kind of play through the story and go through the motions to get the full effect of it. So when we get to that point, I'll, I'll talk about the endings that I got, but I think for players to experience these stories, it's really better to actually play through the games because it gives you drips and drabs, especially in black. You get these little elements of the story as you go through it. The loading screens will kind of give you a little context. And then there's cutscenes interspersed throughout the game. And then, of course, you you have your character endings, which are really cool. So I, I, I like the setup of the story. It's pretty pretty simple but then it gives it gave the the developers uh creative room to just make up these scenarios for the characters <laughs> yeah I totally agree i mean i think it's a big enough of a nugget that it makes you really want to play the game and find out what these endings are now i'll go ahead and say it from the top i didn't finish either one of these games and it's a huge disappointment for me because you know how i've been about finishing games so far this year and the last two years i've finished every game we've played so it's it's a bit of a sore spot and something i might try to go back to before the end of the year and try to beat these games but i even tried to put in the cheat code we should mention there are cheat codes in these games and i could not get it to work for me for Twisted Metal 2. I really wanted to see some of the endings of these games, so I had to resort to watch it on YouTube, and I gotta agree with what you said. I mean, it's very, very lackluster watching these endings for Twisted Metal 2 and Twisted Metal Black, because I feel like having the you know battles in between, it helps you gain a better context and a better understanding of what the story is behind each of these characters, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, one thing that I did do as well is I went back and watched all the endings for Twisted Metal 1. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, I grew up playing the first game. And what's kind of cool about these games and the story of these games is that the first game bleeds into the second game. So things that happen at the end of the first game and with those endings, it's updated to the second game. Because one of the characters in particular, Outlaw 2. Yeah, that's um, one of the ones I played through with. Yeah, there is a ending for the original Outlaw in the first game, and then Outlaw 2 is actually the sister of the guy who drove the first car, and she's trying to rescue him. So I really like what they did in setting it up, and that, like you said, they have these like really cool twist endings, but that that plays into the games that follow. Now, because there is such a huge gap, and of course I didn't watch the endings for Twisted Metal 3, Twisted Metal 4, so on and so on until I got to Black, I really don't know if they carried through with that up until Black, or if Black really sets itself up on its own. So I can't really speak to that, and I'm not familiar enough with the series to do that. But uh, I did want to point out that I really like the way that these storylines bleed into each other, and I think that's really cool. And if you're really working on doing a franchise, and they did four games on the original PlayStation, so it was a success, I think that's the best way to do it, to uh, really get people to play these games. The gameplay in these games, as we'll talk about in a second, is very simple. So I think what really drives, especially the early games, are the stories. 
Yeah, and and again, being new to the series, I had no idea it was like this, and it was really cool to see that they went with that. Like you're saying, it's just an arena-based battle vehicle combat game, so the selling point to that is that, no, each one of these vehicles is unique, and each one is driven by a unique character, and they all have their own stories, and... To me, it really pays off, and I was surprised how gratifying it was to be able to play. And by all means, I use cheats because, as we'll get into the gameplay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, black especially is just damn oh. impossible without them. So, But yeah, I think that the story element is really strong in both of these games. And speaking of bleeding, let's go ahead and bleed into some gameplay. Yeah. I like what you said about the different cars and how they mix that up. There's what we would call like stat balancing in this game, and I think it's done pretty well. I think there's some vehicles that, you know, you probably don't want to use that lean either way too heavily on armor or don't have enough armor. But it's interesting that they did this in this game, in Twisted Metal 2 especially, because it really balances out the playing field. They did it in the original Twisted Metal as well, but this game's a little bit tougher, and so that kind of balancing really plays into who you want to use if you're not, you know, using any type of cheat codes. Yeah, so I agree with that, and I didn't even play as, like, like Mr. Grimm, the motorcycle guy. Yeah. He has, like, no armor, you know, so... <sighs> Yeah, and I love that character, too. I used him all the time in the first Twisted Metal. Oh, okay. Was that more like a speed thing? Like, the trade-off is that he's fast? He's very fast, and his special attack is whopping. Yeah, oh, I mean, okay. his special attack okay. is lethal. You can hit someone with it two or three times, and they're gone. Cool. Well, so I guess we can talk about who we chose then. So, you know me, this goes to my thing. Like, I didn't pay too much attention to the stats because I just wanted to play as the female characters. <laughs> so in Twisted Metal 2, uh, the first time I played through, I played as Twister, which is she's kind of like the F1 racing uh, character. Yep. And then the second time I played through is Outlaw 2. So actually kind of similar experience with both, but I really like Twister's special attack because it's so stupid. <laughs> the car like becomes a tornado and just kind of spins and it just sucks up anything that's around it into this tornado. It does a lot of damage and you can spam it like especially well when you have cheat codes on, you could just spam it and <laughs> you get your enemies in basically a stun lock that they can't get out of. I was on the receiving end of that a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a good one to be on the receiving end of. Not to go on off a tangent here, but the other attack I hated being on the receiving end was an ice attack that just freezes oh, you. It's yeah. like, it was so annoying. It's like, come on, just go, all right, come on, mash the buttons. I'm stuck. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> now, who had that attack? Do you remember? I can't recall. Was it Grasshopper that had that attack? Was that hers? Um, I know Thumper had it. Too. Okay. I think multiple people had it. And it's actually, I think in black, it's an unlockable. There's like unlockable special attacks. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know how deep we can get into that. And this is another tangent, but there are many unlockables in Twisted Metal Black. But mm -hmm. I didn't have the privilege of trying any of them, the characters <laughs> or the weapons or anything. And I actually tried to... I downloaded a 100% save file off the internet, but I had trouble getting it onto my PS3 because I wanted to try some of these unlockables, but yeah. I couldn't figure it out. So, 
Well, speaking of black, I'll go ahead and mention the three characters that were unlockable, and that was Axel, Minion, and Manslaughter. And while we're talking about it, one of the things that I noticed that was missing in Twisted Metal 2 was Sweet Tooth. You can't start out playing as Sweet Tooth. Is that something that unlocks, or is that something that you have to put a code in for? Do you know? I have no idea. I see that there's codes to unlock it, but I I don't know if you can unlock that through progression. It's funny because it's so challenging to speak to this because <laughs> because the games are so damn hard. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and I, I want to say Minion was the same way. You can unlock him with a code too, but I'm not sure if he's an unlockable character or not. And you know, this goes to gameplay as well. Might as well mention it. I made it to Minion and I beat him on easy. But guess what happened? That thing that I hate about early games. Hey, won't you try it on a harder level? You know, I could not progress any further after I beat it on easy, which uh, almost made me um, punt my controller across the game room. I was so pissed. Yeah, that was kind of crazy because I don't know how many times I've seen that like midstream in the middle of a game. I've seen (laughs) it at the end of a game where it's like, why don't you try beating it on a harder difficulty and you'll get the full ending or something. But I don't know if I've ever seen it in the middle of a game at the mid-game boss. And we should say Minion, apparently, and you might know this better than I do, is he's the canonical winner of the first game. So Uh, he's the mid-boss of the second game and Twisted Metal Black. So he must be some kind of recurring character. And it's basically uh, an armored military vehicle. And he's like a demon, which is... Uh, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the yeah. lore behind that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's like after Calypso. So, uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense, the name, Minion. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, it's probably the most disappointing thing about Twisted Metal 2 is that you can't start off playing as Sweet Tooth. I just feel like he is like the most iconic character in the series. Yeah. You know? I mean, totally. he's on all the covers usually. And to not be able to start off playing as him, just, it, man, it sucked. And I'll tell you, anytime I would play a level, he would just light me up. He was the one I hated to see on the loading screen. Because, you know, with, with Twisted Metal 2, the cool thing about it is that you don't always play against the same characters. Right. You get, like, maybe six or so on the loading screen. So uh, that was kind of neat. I, I like that part of the game, how it just kind of mixes it up. You never know what you're going to get when you're playing it. Yeah, we should also say there's a save system in Black, but there's only a password system in Twisted Metal 2, which I thought was kind of neat. No saving, just the password screen. So that was kind of neat. You get three lives, we should mention that. And if you lose like maybe two, you start the next board out with one life. And if you lose that life, then you can put in that passcode and you start off with three again, which was kind of nice. I do like that they did that, but I really don't understand why they didn't just reset all of your lives when you made it to the next board if they were going to do that anyway you know yeah and i guess that gives some solace to the people who are playing the game back in the day you know like for us for now and i wasn't high on either one of these games the first time i played them my first post was actually after playing both games and not even realizing that there were in-game cheat codes and i you know, I just... You did your thing. I expressed my mis- my displeasure <laughs> with these games. And I actually said, Twisted Metal Black having come out in 2001, this is easily the worst thing that happened that year, which is <laughs> one of the better zingers I've ever written. 
But actually, I think these games, both of them, are way more fun with the cheat codes. And as a matter of fact, playing through both of them this morning to kind of refresh for our recording session, I enjoyed them both quite a bit. But the frustration of just getting walloped constantly, especially in black. Yeah. And while we're talking about gameplay, I think the AI is a big factor. I noticed in Twisted Metal 2... The AI is pretty mixed. The enemy AI does drive around a lot, but a lot of times they'll just kind of drift into your periphery and then just sit in front of you and let you unload on them. Yeah. With Twisted Metal Black, it's the complete opposite. The AI just seems to go haywire constantly, and it's just total mayhem. And that's what led to my initial frustration with the game was that, like, Okay, I'm driving around like crazy. I'm just trying to find like one guy that I can pick on, you know, like and and the cool thing about black is the cars have life bars over them. So you can tell when you're doing damage, whereas in by comparison, Twisted Metal 2 has a life bar in the like upper left of the screen and it switches based on who you're targeting, so to speak. But in black, you can see everybody's life bar. So you can actually like go for the weakest to take them out. But what would happen is like, okay, you'd get a solid hit with a missile and then they just drive off at full speed away from you. And it's like all these levels have obstacles and bridges and it's like you could land a good hit on someone and then they're just gone. They take off and it's like, come on, like, I can't even like finish a job here. You know what I mean? So absolutely. And I know we both played on easy, right? I played black. Well, I played them both on easy to start. Of course, yeah. like like you were saying, you got to toggle that uh, in Twisted Metal Two if you want to beat the game. But in black, yeah, I played it on easy for sure. Yeah, you know, I got to say this with black, especially, dude, I couldn't get past the first level, and I consider myself a pretty good gamer. I mean, yeah, like I said, I finished all the games that we've played for the last two and a half years. I'm not a poor gamer. I'm not the best out there, but. I should be able to beat the first damn stage in a twisted metal game. That's yeah. ridiculous. On easy. Yeah. No, it, it's it's wild. And it's not just you. I think we've we had a lot of feedback on the forum to that effect. And yeah. uh like I said, at first I was just like, what the hell? These games are not fun at all. But then I saw a couple people posting about turning cheats on and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess maybe <laughs> I'll give that a shot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then lo yeah. and behold, the games became pretty fun in that the interest in those characters' stories took over some of the more annoying elements. Because even with cheats on, that it didn't change the fact that the AI was just bugging out constantly and black, you know? And it's like, all right, let me chase down this guy and unload. A lot of times I was just spamming homing missiles because you at least knew that they had a good chance of hitting, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So.
we should definitely talk about the weapons and stuff in this game and things that basically everyone has and then things that you can also pick up. For both games across the board, you have a machine gun on your car, which does fairly minimal damage, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you have to hit someone a ton, but you can actually spam it and hold it down for most of the game. Now, I think on black, your guns can actually overheat. That's correct. But not on the second game. The second game, I think you could just keep firing, and it's best just to you know keep that held down. On black too, you can actually get an upgrade to make your machine gun stronger, which you know is a, definitely a difference, and I think an improvement in the game as opposed to uh, Twisted Metal too. The other thing is there's pickups, and I think you mentioned one before: the homing missile, the regular missile. Let's see what else is there. There's like a bomb that you can throw in Twisted Metal too. Yeah, which the bomb looks like the classic, like a black bowling ball with a wick on it. It's so funny and stupid it's looking, great. like a Spy versus Spy <laughs> right. bomb from Mad Magazine. <laughs> right. Which I gotta say, rest in peace, Mad Magazine. That just got canceled, so they're gonna be doing their last publication very soon. I hated to hear that news, but anyway, we'll continue on with the weapons. Just wanted to throw that in there as an aside. What else was there? There's napalm as well, right? Which kind of sucked because you had to throw it at a distance. Yeah. Um, the homing missiles were probably my favorite of the um, the pickups in Twisted Metal 2. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, like I said, uh, more in black I was relying on them, but even in 2 when I got frustrated, I was just like, all right, homing missiles, you know? like <laughs> Yeah. And was there the power missiles in two, or was that only black? I can't remember. No, there were power missiles as well. And yeah. uh, there was also a detonator, like a bomb pack. And I think you could throw landmines in two as well, but there was like a special code for it or something like that. But you know what I'm talking about? Like the bomb pack, you could just put it somewhere and just sit it there. And if somebody tried to pick it up, like it was an item to collect, they would blow up. Yeah, there was a couple weapons in black that I really didn't understand how to use. Mm -hmm. The lightning. The lightning thing, the missile, guided missile things. It's like I could have probably, you know, read an instruction manual or figured it out. But I was just <laughs> like, by that time, I was just relying on the special attack or the power missiles or the homing missiles. Like I got into a, a groove with the weapons I was using. So Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was playing two, I think it was yesterday. And with that bomb pack, that explosion pack, do you know that second arena, Moscow, which is just like the skateboard bowl with the bridges that go across the top of it? Yeah, I have that noted as my favorite <laughs> level in the game, actually. Well, you can use that C4-like bomb mm. at the base of one of those structures, and when it blows up, the whole top crumbles. Oh, that's really and cool. And so it just becomes like a bowl. And then I think with the lightning, what I figured out was... There's these sort of towers in some of the games, these like metal towers. And if you hit the lightning when the other cars are near that, it will like shoot a shockwave off of those metal towers in like radius and uh, do damage to the cars. I did it one time and I was too close to the tower and actually shocked myself. So that's kind of how I figured it out the other day. But uh, yeah, some really strange weapons, but... Uh, you know, I like the variety of the weapon pickups. I thought they were kind of cool in both games. Maybe a bit of overkill in black, as you were referring to. Just some stuff that just really didn't make a lot of sense, and I couldn't really figure out how like it was different from some of the other items that you would pick up. So, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I, I just think in, like, it's from that era, like, Ratchet and Clank wasn't out yet when, like, Twisted 2 was made. But, like... 
that element of just the creativity, like let's throw everything into the game and see what sticks kind of thing. Like I wonder what, (laughs) with everything that's in these games weapon wise, I wonder what was on the reject pile, like what weapons (laughs) they didn't uh, include, you know what I mean? Uh, Because there's just so many and they're creative and you don't have to use the ones you don't like. So I say the more the merrier. Yeah. And I'll say this, one thing I liked more about Twisted Metal 2 as far as the pickups, I thought they were more recognizable. They were like a lot bigger and you could always tell what you were going to run into. Of course, it had the name on it, you know, so so you knew exactly what it was. But I felt like in black, I was running around a lot and I didn't really know what to be looking for. Like I couldn't tell the difference between the homing missiles and any of the other missiles or anything like that. If you knew where they were placed on the board, then sure, you could know what to go for and what to pick up. But I just felt like I was just trying to run over everything just to, you know, see what it was. They just weren't very well identified. Yep, that's fair. I agree. Well, I think one thing that we should probably talk about also with the gameplay is the other type of weaponry, and that is the specials. Yeah. Now, each character has a different special solely for that character, and like we said... With the different vehicles and stuff and the balance of the game, some do more damage than others, which is pretty cool. Mr. Grimm probably does the most damage because he has the least amount of armor, and probably the person with the most armor does the least amount of damage with their specials. But uh, every character has a different special. Like you said, Twister has one that's really close up. And I tended to prefer the vehicles that had the longer range specials. I know with uh, Spectre, he had homing missiles that I thought were really nice to just kind of add to the collection of pickup homing missiles that you could get. And uh, I thought that was a very effective special. Yeah, I enjoyed the special attacks a lot. And I do think they were like kind of hit and miss in a sense that they almost go to your play style more in in the way that you just noted. Like, do you want something where you can get up close and personal or do you want something that has more range? Uh, so when I played Black this morning, I played as Dollface, who her vehicle is called Dark Side, which is basically a bobtailed tractor trailer truck. And her special attack is just a like ram. It's almost like getting a mushroom in Mario Kart, but you <laughs> ram a vehicle that's presumably in front of you, which is almost impossible to line up. So that like, for example, that one I didn't really like, and I almost didn't like, I barely used it at all. So, yeah. you know, somebody out there loves that special attack, you know, and can probably line it up really good and use it very well. When I had a character like Twister, who was it was an area of effect, so to speak, and mm-hmm. it was really easy to use. I used it a lot more. Yeah. So and so was Outlaw too. That was sort of an area effect, just kind of a um, like a taser kind of thing. Yeah. In the car, right. Yep. I typically preferred something with like homing missiles. And when I played Twisted Metal Black, I usually played a Sweet Tooth because I really liked the idea of the homing missiles. Now the whole transformation of the car into a horrible looking GoBot to shoot those homing missiles was kind of weird, <laughs> but I did like that as a special attack. For the most part, I liked most of the special attacks and thought they were very creative. And unlike you, which is kind of funny, I wasn't really a fan of the AOE attacks as much as you were. And uh, I find that interesting. And it says a lot about the diversity of the game and how it can appeal to different people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
Alright, so another feature of the gameplay that I think we should talk about is the map. For such an early game, I thought Twisted Metal 2 did such a great job of having that map, you know, as an ability to locate your enemies. But not only that, each enemy was represented by a specific color. You know how you were talking about the cars did not have life bars directly on them on the screen. And so you could never tell, like, how much life bar they had left in Twisted Metal 2. However, as you're battling a certain car and you know that you've gotten their life down, you can actually find them on the map because each character is color-coded. And I thought, you know what, for such an early game, that is a fantastic idea because they could have just as easily melded in and just put it as like a white dot for each car on the map, you know? Yeah, that's true. And in black, they kind of ended up doing that, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Because on the mini-map in that game, they're just white X's, everybody. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that you bring up that point. Now, I didn't even realize that as I was playing it. I noticed these little blips on the map uh, in Twisted Metal 2, but I didn't realize that each one was color-coded to a, a vehicle. So it's very interesting. Yeah, like Grasshopper, for instance, was specifically colored green, you know, obviously. And I think the cop car was white. Thumper was pink, which, you know, kind of color-coded toward whatever color the actual vehicle was. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a really, really neat feature of the game. All right, so is there anything else you wanted to talk about with gameplay, something I might have missed or skipped over? I don't think so. I, I was wondering, though, if maybe we could talk about our favorite and least favorite levels because uh, I did <laughs> I jot that down. Very many. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was taking notes this morning, and I did note that Moscow was my favorite mm -hmm. uh, in Twisted Metal 2, and that my least favorite was either New York or the Arctic level. I really dislike New York because it's like you're on these tops of buildings, and it's very easy to fall off. Yeah. And even when you have cheats on, if you fall off a building, you lose a life. So it's like. Like, I'm just trying to get through this game and I'm needlessly getting killed and I'm using cheats anyway. So it's like, I feel like I'm wasting my time kind of thing. Yeah. And then uh, with the Arctic, it's actually a really cool design element. You're driving around these sections of ice and some of them like fall off into or melt or whatever into the sea. But all you have to do is kind of get into this. There's a center island with two landmasses and a bridge in between. And all you have to do is camp under the bridge because that never falls. So I probably disliked those levels the most. Mm, okay. Uh, what about you? Anything stick out? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be able to talk about a lot of them, like I said. But uh, I think my favorite level in Twisted Metal 2 was the first level. I really like that sort of racetrack element to the game and that sort of wide open center. You know, in those sides, you could kind of bounce off of and go up onto somewhat like a platform. I really like that. I thought the ability to collect weapons was fairly easy there. And, you know, medical kits, which we should mention, are also in the game. You can refill your life in these games. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but not only can you refill your life with a medical packs, but if you run over 10 human beings your uh, life will go all the way back up as well. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. Is that real? Do you think yeah. that's an homage to Death Race? I don't know. Maybe it so. It just popped in my head. I, yeah. I wonder. That must be hard to run over 10 people. I feel like in any given level, I only would see like two or three. Yeah. I think you see more in the first level than you do most of the other levels, but I totally okay. agree. But yeah, I think it probably is an homage to Death Race, which was, you know, not only a movie, but it was actually a vector-based 
arcade game that they didn't make many of. Actually, the arcade I go to has one. So uh, pretty fun to play. Right. And very controversial at the time, which makes me think that they were probably, I mean, maybe referencing it. You know, trying to be edgy. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can do that in black or not, but that element still is there where you can run over people in that game. So I don't yeah. know if you have to do 10 or what the number is for that. But I do know in Twisted Metal 2, it is 10. So that's kind of a neat thing as well. Yeah. Um, but to get back to my least favorite level, that would probably have to be the lava level. Oh, Okay. I just hate levels like that. They just feel so cheap where you get into the lava and you take damage. Now, if you had yours on God mode, then you weren't taking any damage, so it probably wasn't as bad. But it just kind of sucked when you would just go off track and to go into that stuff and take damage. I I just wish it was a little more open, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And did not have that as a hazard. And actually, when you fight Minion, you have to deal with that hazard as well, as if he's not tough enough. So even on easy... I was barely able to defeat Minion. So, uh, yeah, just kind of run-and-gun type strategy with him. I think what's annoying about that level, too, is I'm not super positive about this, but I'm pretty sure that none of the other cars lose life when they go in the lava. No, I don't think they do either. I was trying to pay attention to that this morning, and I noticed a couple of the enemies just cruising around in the lava, not losing any life for it. That's kind of lame, too. And I don't think they take any damage when they hit each other, either. No. And I guess that wouldn't... Help me out, bro. It wouldn't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess from a gameplay perspective, like a design perspective, that wouldn't make too much sense because then you could just camp and hope for the best, you know, and then I'm a like, fan. why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of being a coward. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. They should have made that like a an option, like a game mode, you know, like friendly fire kind of thing. That, yeah. that would be neat to see how that plays out. Absolutely. Yeah. It would be cool. Be like a true demolition derby style. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the environments and graphics of this game. And, um, you know, like I said, both are set in a post-apocalyptic universe with these Mad Max-type arenas. <laughs> You're like playing in Thunderdome with cars, almost. One of the things I did notice in the two games was the distinctive lack of color in black, whereas the first game actually has a lot of color in it. Yeah, totally. Black... I guess it was kind of at the beginning of this, like everything is gray and dark and brown. Mm -hmm. Typically, like I think the Xbox 360 PS3 era is more known for that because of games like Gears of War. And there was just a lot of popular games with that color scheme. It's kind of a meme in the gaming world, you know, like the the first Modern Warfare is, is in that era as well. And obviously Black being a PS2 game is a little bit before that era, but it very much fits into that kind of drab on purpose, very dark, very muted. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't think it's it's like boring in any way. Like it is a post-apocalyptic game and I do like the amount of detail in Black kind of makes up for the muted color palette. I really liked in um, the Suburbia level, that you can like run through the houses and destroy them, you know, things like that. <laughs> There's uh, a cool attention to detail in both games, actually. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, kind of getting back to the story for a moment, one of the things I noticed as I was watching the ending videos for Black, 
well, actually not the ending videos, but, you know, I would watch all the animation for each character. And it seems like all of the drivers start out in the same mental institution. Is that correct? I don't know if you did this, but when you're in the character selection screen, if you hit the circle button, it gives you a little bio of the character. I did not do that. Yeah. A few of them are pretty politically incorrect. Mm, (laughs) So they're interesting to look at through the lens we have today of political correctness, so to speak. But interesting stuff. And a lot of them are just, I don't know, meant to be funny, but they do add a little bit of color and a little bit more background to the characters. But Yeah. yeah, I guess that's a little bit of an update to the story. And I don't know Again, maybe looking in the instruction manual or somewhere would say, like, why is Calypso, like, plucking these people out of a mental institution in this game in particular, but... He looks so silly, man, in the black version. He looks like that character off of uh, Skylanders, that little evil guy off Skylanders. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. I can't remember his name. I just know my kids watch that cartoon, so I've seen him. Yeah. Times. Oh man, I it's been a while. I love those first two <laughs> Skylanders games. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's so hilarious. <laughs> but uh, you know, with the darkness of the second game too, you kind of feel like this is a post-apocalyptic world. Time has passed. So everything's going to be super gray, super dirty. Where you once had automobiles and cars that were bright colored from the original games. As time passes, you know, you're trying to pull all these parts and stuff together off old wrecks that are rusty and, of course, paint missing and stuff like that. So it kind of fits into that. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I mean, if <laughs> you put that <laughs> layer of story on it. it yeah, <laughs> no, I like that. You, it's funny when you when you do this, or Krabby does this a lot, like adding your own context to everything. Yeah. I, I like hearing people's, <laughs> like, you know, your own take on the whole universe of Twisted Metal. Yeah. Speaking of uh, vehicle design, what did you think about vehicle design from Twisted Metal 2 to Twisted Metal Black? Did you like it or did it go a little too far? I don't think it went too far because, I mean, in both cases, you're talking about this. I mean, especially Twisted Metal 2, the word cartoonish like is at top of mind you know what i mean it's yeah. it's very especially like those ending cutscenes are drawn in a comic book type of style so any kind of over the topness of the vehicle designs is going to land well for the most part so like having for example an ice cream truck with a huge demonic clown head bouncing around <laughs> on the top of it just seems completely normal in this in this world so i was pretty much a fan Uh, if anything some of them were just kind of you know like specter it's just a white car you know what i mean so the the ones that were more outlandish i think and more eye-catching i enjoyed a lot more like everybody knows sweet tooth but i think also everybody knows axel which is just the guy who has his arms attached to these huge like two-story tall uh (laughs) wheels on each arm uh, so stuff like that is just like silly. It seems like something like, you know, maybe one of your children would make up something like that, Rich, you know? <laughs> yeah. Something your children would draw and you're just completely disturbed about. Exactly. So I thought the more outlandish ones were actually even more, uh, attractive than the, the just like normal cars, you know? Yeah. And maybe this is just nostalgia talking, but I feel like I prefer the vehicles in Twisted Metal 2 as opposed to the vehicles in Twisted Metal Black. And 
just kind of scrolling through all the vehicles in Twisted Metal Black, they just felt very samey. I mean, there wasn't a lot of color like we spoke about before, and it just seemed like other than stats, they didn't look a lot different. And that's just my opinion. It's like Sweet Tooth. It just looked like an insane asylum car that was just really dirty. I think a lot of the charm from Sweet Tooth in the original games was that it was an ice cream truck. You know, that was so iconic, and it went away from that. I don't know. It, it just bothered me for some reason. All the vehicles looked too similar. I just felt that way, and maybe I'm alone on that. And again, maybe it's just my nostalgia pushing through and, you know, just wanting to see very similar vehicles. I don't mind the new characters and the new vehicles and things like that, but for some of the older classic guys, I would kind of like for them to continue with that similar look. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that just plays into the whole, like, colorfulness thing in general. So next, I want to talk a little bit about the music. Both games had somewhat of a metal soundtrack, which I think is very appropriate for these games, being a combat vehicular game. And, of course, the title, you know, Twisted Metal. Like, how can you not go with something that's not completely rocking out? And so I just wanted to know, like, what you thought about the music in these games, any differences that you noticed in them, and uh, if there's one you preferred over the other. Well, you know, this kind of sucks and this is going <laughs> to, I guess I'm getting caught with my pants down here because oh, <laughs> the, um, let's just say the not legitimately acquired version of these games that I played, Twisted Metal 2, had no music and okay. I didn't realize there was music in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because the first couple times I booted it, there was no sound at all. So then when I rebooted it, I got sound like menu music and I was like, okay, cool. But then the the game itself had no music. So that must have been a product of me like pirating the game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But with Black, I didn't care for much of the music. Yeah. It was just like this dark like movie music for most of the tracks. But there was one track... And I forget which level it was, but it sounded more like industrial metalish, like Nine Inch Nailsy kind of oh, music. Yeah. And that one I was grooving to. I liked it a lot. But in general, the music wasn't anything to write home about in Black. Yeah, I agree with you there. Even though I didn't see much of Black, I can't really comment too much on the music of it. But from what I heard, I'm going to have to default my answer to our good friend Crabmaster, who had written something really good about the music on the forums. And he says, 
Another thing that sticks out to me is how much I like the music in 2 and how much I dislike it in black. It's so generic and forgettable in black in every level. I don't think there is one standout track. It was nice to hear Paint It Black during the credits just to not hear the rest of the OST anymore. I think every level in 2, except for maybe the first two, are pretty fun and interesting, but it's the reverse for black. There are only a couple levels I like as much as I do in 2. Like I said, I didn't see a lot of these games, so I can't really talk in detail about the music, but I will say I will default to Krabby's answer because that guy is a huge metalhead, and so am I, and so I stick by his answer. I'm cool with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, it's about that time to wrap it up and do some final thoughts. We spoke before about the endings and how one of the things about the early games, especially Twisted Metal 1 and 2, is that there are these kind of twists of be careful of what you wish for. And so I wanted to let you talk about some of the endings you got, and maybe we can discuss a few of the others that we may be familiar with. Yeah, this is something I'm really excited for because the first one I played through was Twister, and that left me with a really good impression because she had a really cool ending, and I'll explain it real quick. So she's like a race car driver, and she wants to be the fastest driver on earth. So at the end of the game, her wish to Calypso is to be the fastest driver on Earth. So she drives so fast that she like breaks the space-time continuum and goes back in time, all the way back to like the prehistoric era. Era, <laughs> and uh, she runs out of gas. And she runs out of gas. And then the final scene is her helmet in a museum and some kids looking at it, and it's like the mystery of how this got there, you know. And it, I thought, oh, that's so funny and goofy and awesome. Like what a dark dark twist and then uh the next one i did was outlaw 2 and like you said there's some context because apparently outlaw 1 from the first game is her brother and her mission is kind of rescue her brother from of all things being shot up into outer space so she says like my wish is i want to see my brother again and in course you're like okay she's she's gonna get her wish and calypso launches her into space and it's so stupid they're out in outer space in these police cars no no spaceships (laughs) no suits nothing and she just like he kind of jumps into her police car and and uh, he's like, well, I guess we're stuck in space drifting forever, you know? But then she's like, no, I was planning for this. And she has like rocket boosters on her car and they go back to planet Earth. And then so that one's not so twisted because it's almost like it's not a happy ending because she gets the better of him. Right. But she says, uh, like, well, we're going to go get our revenge. And that's how it ends. But it's. Um, you know, she ends up rescuing her brother like she wanted to. So that's like not such a bad, like twisted ending. Yeah. Well, I want to throw this in there real quick, just so you know. And from the first game with the first outlaw, what he wished for was a world without the twisted metal game. And so that's what happened. That's why he got shot into space. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah. So that's where it kind of fits in and it kind of bleeds over, which we were talking about earlier, which is really cool. That's awesome. I'll just talk about one more ending that I really liked. One of the endings I got in Twisted Metal Black, which was Dollface, who drives the dark side tractor trailer truck I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. So her whole story is that she worked for this like puppeteer, puppet artist building guy. 
and he was like a really mean dude and she was just his assistant but once she like spilt coffee on his documents and he punished her by like permanently affixing this mask to her face and locking it with this weird key so the whole thing is that calypso somehow has the key and at the end of the game your whole wish is to get the key back to get the mask off your face and it's almost like the movie Saw, where the key is attached to a trap that when she takes the key off the chain, it has the original guy who put her in that mask, like in almost like an Iron Maiden type torture thing. And so it's really awesome because she takes the key and it, you know, crushes the guy in this torture device thing. And then she says, you know what? I've gotten used to this mask. Like, it means more to me than my actual face. And then she, like, tosses the key away. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that one. I thought it was, again, very twisted, quote, unquote. Um, Again, some of the other ones I tried to watch them on YouTube. And I was just like, eh, I don't get this without, like, going through the motions of the game. So Yeah. It's weird how that works. But I think you're completely right. I mean... I enjoyed watching a lot of the innings, but I had to watch them all through YouTube, obviously. But there's something that is lacking. I will say this, though. With the black games, they're a lot darker and a lot more demented and wicked than Twisted Metal 2. I mean, I'm talking very, very dark and twisted. I don't know why they went that route. Maybe it was because of what was popular at the time, you know, what was coming on TV at the time as far as, you know, these crime dramas and stuff like that. But, uh, wow, it is, no pun intended, extremely twisted in comparison to the uh, second game. Yeah, totally. And at first, I wasn't even into that whole aesthetic of it because I was like, oh, you know. Look at these edge lords. I oh, I get it. It's really dark, you know, grim dark stuff here. But actually, you know, yeah. it kind of paid off in a couple instances. So I got to say, I'm tempted to like play through a couple other ones. Like I got to kind of decide if I want to do that. But I liked what I saw the first couple times around. So I got to beat that first level. Yeah. <laughs> so wait in black you said you couldn't get the cheats to work in twisted metal 2 but in, did you in black there's a god mode cheat that you can you know basically play the game through pretty easily no i i didn't try it in oh, black. Okay. i was just so frustrated with that game i i wish i would have and wish i would have put some time into doing that but i didn't i was so frustrated with not being able to do twisted metal 2 that i just didn't even consider or even thinking about doing twisted metal black I, I should do that. I should go through a few of them because, um, like I said, the game's fun. I really like the gameplay in Black. I feel like the controls are really good. Do you know what I mean? It's very responsive and well done. Can we diverge a little for a second about the controls? Because they're kind of yeah, unique sure. for a driving game. I only use like the default setup. You can change these, but... The default setup in both games is that gas is the square button and brake is the circle button. And then you use R1 and L1 to cycle through your weapons. R2 is your machine gun and L2 is your weapon that you have selected. So this took a little bit of getting used to because in most modern driving games, you're using your triggers for the gas and brake. That's the way most games are configured now. Yeah. It took a little bit of getting used to, but I'm with you. I actually really liked the default control scheme because you just lay on the square button 
and uh, lay on the machine gun button, especially in two where it was unlimited and just cruise around. And it took a little getting used to, but I ended up really loving it. It's funny. Um, were you using the thumbstick to drive around or were you using the D-pad? I kind of went back and forth. On two, uh, uh, I only use the D-pad, but in black, I went back and forth. I don't remember using a button for the gas in two. I think I just like used the D-pad to make it go, like would push forward on it. Oh, okay. I didn't even know you could do that with the gas, which is really interesting. Yeah, and what's funny also in black, like once you hit the gas, it seems like you'll go forever. Like there's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no like friction or gravity in this <laughs> in this universe. You just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But I, yeah, like you said, I, I definitely felt like there was an improvement of the controls, obviously, from Twisted Metal 2, the Twisted Metal Black, which obviously you're going to expect from an early game to a later game. I thought it really controlled well, and it was fun to play. It's just the difficulty for me was just stunning. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and go to our forum and hear from a few of our members who played the game and what they thought about the endings. Crabmaster says... Story-wise, it seems like a total reboot of the series, and they went for a dark, gritty realism as opposed to the goofy, campy B-movie style from the previous games in the series. He's talking about Black here. It's a tone that I don't like nearly as much. Calypso isn't some sort of magical genie that grants twisted wishes, but just a man who has something that each of the contestants wants, such as information or an object. It sounds good in theory, but the story stuff is just really bad for the most part, and while 2 is no Shakespeare, it's got a lot of charm to it that I find missing in black. And I think what he's talking about there is this whole idea of the twistedness in the games. You know, with black, they sort of get what they want when they win the contest, whereas in Twisted Metal 1, Twisted Metal 2, there's this twist that Calypso uses to trick them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I totally get what he's saying. And I did appreciate that in two as well. And um, from what I saw in black, I could totally see like that not jiving in the same way that two did. Yeah. And our buddy Mr. Stubb says, With black, a lot of the story endings were just too hokey and ridiculous while trying to be serious. With the two, Dollface and Bloody Mary, I was able to force myself to play through. The conflict that led them to the asylum in the first place was just dumb. I wish I was able to play too, but the copy I had picked up was too scratched up. I'll have to see about getting it buffed. I remember the storylines being so much better. Interesting. He played with the two exact characters that I did in black as well, Dollface and Bloody Mary. I can't really remember Bloody Mary's ending. That's why I didn't really comment on it. Was that the one with the wedding dress? Yeah, yeah. uh, Okay, yeah. I remember seeing that, but I didn't pick up on enough of it to really comment on. So I find that that's interesting, and I don't know, he didn't get to play too, so maybe he's a little colored by nostalgia, but... You know, who knows? I I, I get what he's saying, and I I definitely agree that some of it was a little bit hokey and ridiculous, but for the most part, from some of the endings that I saw in Black, I thought they did a pretty good job. Different, but, uh, I mean, I still thought they were good enough to stand on their own, you know? Yeah, totally. All right, man. Well, let's hear your final impressions of the game. I was pleasantly surprised by these games, despite my initial reaction of, you know, just how difficult they are without cheat codes. I think this is a rare instance. I'm very quick to use cheat codes if I'm getting frustrated, but I think I can honestly say to even people who are like more seasoned, better gamers than I am, which is most people, (laughs) that 
these games I found very fun with the cheats on because you could actually like drive around and play the game, enjoying the elements of the game and the gameplay, like the weapons and exploring the levels and seeing all the other enemies. I had a way better time than I thought I would. So I played both games in three sessions. The first time I tried it without any cheats and I had no fun at all. Second time I tried it with cheats and it was like doing homework for the podcast. I was like, okay, I got to beat both of these games. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like those endings were pretty cool. And then when I played through it this morning, it was just like frosting on the cake. Like I can just kind of sit back and enjoy these and have a goofy fun time. And I was left with a really good impression. And I'm really surprised at the depth of the stories and the creativity they used with these characters. And I get Krabby and Mr. Stubbs points on the endings of Black not having that morality twist at the end. But I still liked what I saw there. So actually interested in maybe going back and playing one and three and four and i mean there's even one called small brawl i don't know if you're familiar with that one yeah Yeah. yes i have it it's like a remote control yeah so i wonder like (laughs) how these games stack up in the series especially knowing now that like we're saying there's some continuity between these sequels that's pretty awesome and it makes me want to play more so I definitely recommend just beware that the games are very challenging and difficult to a degree that can be frustrating for some people, but that there are built-in cheat codes that you can use. Yeah, that's true, which I could never get to work for. (laughs) You got to do them fast. (laughs) (sighs) I guess so, man. I I got one of the shields to pop up at one time, but you can only use it like once per level, like the limited invincibility. I got that to work, but I could not get the god mode linked up so that really sucks i wish i could do that and actually get through the games a little more but uh, my final thoughts are this this is the first time i've played both of these games however i did play a lot of the original twisted metal and i gotta say i'm really really stoked to play twisted metal 2 i think it is a lot better as far as controls it adds a lot to the gameplay that was missing in the first twisted metal game and by far is a better game than the first twisted metal though i don't think the first twisted metal is a game that you should miss out on i think you should definitely go back and play it from the beginning of the series i really like the endings that were in Twisted Metal 2, the kind of cartoon drawings, because the endings from the original Twisted Metal game were kind of the same, where it would be this piece of dialogue that was similar, and then it would add something to it, and you would just see the car drive down the road, and that was it. You did not get a very diverse ending. So from them to go from that to what they did in Twisted Metal 2, which is this great art style, that is a huge leap forward and just really, really awesome. I think like Krabby and Mr. Stubbs, I don't want to put words in their mouth or judge, but I think I'm very hung up on nostalgia, which is why I would probably say I prefer Twisted Metal 2 to Twisted Metal Black. Not only that, but for other reasons too, like the difficulty in Black is just so much. But I kind of feel like this is a series that was started on the PlayStation. They put out four games just on the regular PlayStation. They've done many, many more. They haven't put one out on PS4, which I'm a little disappointed in. They need to get back to it because they really need to keep the series alive. But when you have such a heavy lore in those early games, I feel like 
you're kind of indebted to continue on with that. And I feel like it kind of breaks from that in black. For that reason, I would probably prefer Twisted Metal 2 to black. Though I did enjoy what little time I had with black <laughs> quite a bit. It is a neat game. The controls are really good. And it's a really, really nice looking game. One thing that I did want to point out, Sean, is that it was pretty easy for us to make the decision to play Twisted Metal 2, but we actually kind of stumbled a little bit on Twisted Metal Black. We were either going to do Twisted Metal Black or we were going to do Twisted Metal 2003, which is a very different type of game. It actually has a story mode, which is quite different than what we've kind of become accustomed to in the Twisted Metal games. I think there's like two teams. There's like a Sweet Tooth team and then a Doll Face team in that game. And so what we ended up doing was we decided to go with Black because we wanted to kind of compare and contrast two games that were very similar and see where the series had possibly progressed. So do you have any regrets about playing this game instead of the other? No, not at all. You know, you just reminded me. You're talking about the one on the PS3, right? Yes. Yeah, so I had totally forgotten about that one as well. And again, it's hard for me to kind of have any regrets as somebody who doesn't know too much about the series. You know, me being such a PS2 fanboy, that's why I was kind of lobbying to play Black in the first place. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, now I got to put this, the one that's for the PS3 on my list also. Because imagine the leap in graphics from PS1 to PS2. I know it's not as dramatic from PS2 to PS3, but it must be a pretty good-looking game, I would imagine. Yeah, man, and you also got to check out Twisted Metal head-on for the PSP. You love that handheld stuff, so it's probably one you should uh, definitely give a look. Yeah, totally. All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and get into what we're playing in July and August. Since you're hosting in July, I'll let you take it away. Sure. So for July, we're playing two classic games on the Nintendo Game Boy. That would be Super Mario Land 1 and 2. And this is kind of cool. We did two summer months in a row with two games. And like the Twisted Metal games, they're games that you can just kind of pick up and beat in one session if you want. Super Mario Land 1 especially you can beat in about an hour. And Super Mario Land 2 is also a pretty short game, not quite that short, but you can really bust through it in a couple hours. So a nice easy breezy selection for July. And if you're doing a little traveling, a little summer vacation, you could take a handheld system with you just like Rich did and yep. <laughs> uh, play those awesome classic Super Mario Land games with us. Yep. I plan on playing that on my Super Game Boy so I can play it on the big TV. So that should be a lot of fun. Can't wait to try those games out. So my brother had Super Mario Land 1 when we were growing up, and I played it a little bit but never really got into playing it a lot because that was his system, and I'd just kind of pick it up on little road trips that we would have. But uh, yeah, looking forward to playing that quite a bit. And then in August, I am hosting... Once again, we're going with another handheld game, so you can take it on your summer vacation with you. And this is a game that I played last August and that I really enjoyed. And Sean, you played the first game recently and enjoyed it as well. And that is Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair. Now, this is the second game in the series. Neither you or I have played it yet. This is going to be a very good time, I think. And for you guys and girls that are interested in some just wacky, Japanese-y type games with a homicidal teddy bear, 
get ready because this one is going to be a lot of fun, and I hear it's one of the best games in the series. There's no need to play the first game, but if you want to play it before you play the second game, I highly suggest that you do that. Yeah, it's a crazy pick, dude. I mean, look at what we got here. A visual novel that's the second in a series that we didn't play the first one for the podcast. It's an exclusive to the PlayStation Vita. And it's like 30 hours long, I think. So it's going to be kind of out of our wheelhouse and out of our participants' wheelhouse. But I know that our loyal people will join us and will carry us through this one. And I'm really excited to do a podcast on it because, like you said, we both recently played the first game in this series and there's a lot to talk about here. So if nothing else, it'll make for a good show. And uh, I'm excited to bang through that second game. episode thank you as always for listening and special thanks to everyone who participated in the playthrough in august we'll be taking a look at a bizarre visual novel from the cult danganronpa series as we play danganronpa 2 goodbye despair for the mighty playstation vita shout out to vita island vita means life be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com and we'll see you next time on the Playcast.
Bash me. Basketball. Bow. And last but not least, my wife got me a GameStop card for Father's Day, and I picked up Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. Just went ahead and wanted, just wanted to head, <clears throat> just want to head. <laughs> Absolutely, works for you, and that's great, man. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I don't have anything. <laughs> Sorry, I just no, kind of cool. blanked for a second there. No, no, you have any more pickups or anything? Uh, sorry. No, you're good, man. You all right? Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of spaced for a second. I'm not sure. Usually that's your job. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and, um, wow, do that Yeah, I can hear it. That's yeah, awesome. it's getting close. I'm going to wrap this shit up. All right. Wow. Thunder. <laughs> Thunder. <laughs> My brother had Super Mario Land 1 when he was younger and when I was growing up, so, uh, I don't know, so I can wait for that. Oh, you should leave it in. That's badass. You know, Wario's <laughs> Castle in uh, Super Mario Land 2 has thunder and lightning in the background, so. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm excited to stop and clench because my clench is going to be much briefer than normal.